Hannah, I don't know if you remember, but we talked about Gilmore Girls not that long ago. Do you like? I I do remember that conversation quite well. We talked about Stars Hollow. We were like, "Mm, we live here now. Okay. Here's what I noticed when I recently re-binge the series, as you do, because I finish it and then I'm like, oh my God, that was so many seasons. Let's start over. (laughs) And that's what I do. I've genuinely done that since I was in high school. Like I just loop Gilmore Girls. So Mm -hmm. ever like recently, recently, the last cup, the last year or so, I've taken a detour into Schitt's Creek and I just loop Schitt's Creek. Mm -hmm. But other than that, every single night I was just looping Gilmore Girls. Mm -hmm. I've thrown in the year in the life as well, just to mix it up. Yeah, you have to. Mix it up. Uh, Tammy, do you watch much of the the girls and the Gilmores? Hey, yeah. So um, I had never watched the Gilmore Girls. And then I lived with Hannah and it is true that she does loop. It's true. (laughs) You will be forced to watch it if you. uh, you (gasps) I was forced to watch it against my will. I then got quite into it. And then as soon as I think I missed a day or Hannah went ahead and then I lost it. Yeah. So I'm going to just have to come and stay with you, Hannah, in the bedroom. It has to be intentional. Yeah. Yeah. Do it again. So, so what I noticed this last time, which maybe you've noticed this, I never did, but you know, the start of Luke and Lorelai's relationship at the yes. wedding, his sister's yes. wedding, they're playing, what's it called? Lasting light or something like that. I think is the song title. I can't yeah, remember. I'm, I'm listening to it in my head right now. I could gently sing it for you if you'd like. And the moon's never seen me before. Exactly. Okay. Um, <laughs> so when they break up in like season six, right? When uh, Spoilers. <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot. Okay, once, but okay, and that's not the end of it. I just want you to know, like, it's a brief, it's a brief detour. So, spoiler alert: they do break up once. It's gonna be okay, though. Don't worry, it gets better. It gets like season seven. Oh, amazing! But anyway, the lady singing, the lady singing, it's the same lady singing at that scene when yes. Lorelai is like, "What?" After you know the, the incident, which I won't give detail, and Sam Phillips does a lot of the music throughout the Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I never noticed. I knew like I recognized her voice, but I never consciously recognized that like it was the same woman singing at the start and at the pseudo, not really the end. So. And I don't want to freak you out, but I'm pretty sure it's the same girl who in the pilot episode sings when they go to Emily and Richard's house for the first time, mm-hmm. sings that song. Mm-hmm. In right room. <sighs> She's all over the place with that, but I thought it was just very nice symbolism. Symbolism. <laughs> It's like I'm really that reference. Oh, <laughs> do you have you ever seen the Boondock Saints? No, probably not. So the Boondock Saints was, I think it, it ended up being a trilogy, but it was a movie that came out a while. And right now they haven't, they haven't made the third one yet. And I'm very upset about it. But is it, yeah. is it the animated one? No, no. Okay. No, I don't think so. There might be one, no. but, but anyway, it's these uh, fraternal twin Irish brothers mm-hmm. who are like, mm-hmm. they feel like they're the left and right hands of justice and that God has commissioned them to right the wrongs of New York City. Mm-mm, it's um, Boston. Oh yeah, you're so right. It is Boston. In my head, it's New York. Anyway, they're in Boston. Same. Here we are, Irish guys in Boston. And they talk about Kitty Genovese, which is a really famous case in the US where mm-hmm. basically no bystanders intervened and she ended up dying. So the oh. beginning of the movie is basically them talking about that them being the quote-unquote scales of justice and righting the wrongs in the city cut to the police officers in boston obviously go to investigate a lot of these scenes and they portray a couple of them as not so smart and then there's an investigator who's like really really Ugh, smart. willem dafoe i love him the fantastic character but essentially the 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 cop who's not as smart tries to kind of play up for the investigator investigator and goes <laughs> what's the uh symbology, symbology here <laughs> and he looks at him and he goes, 
what? And he goes, what's the, you know, the symbology? What's the symbology behind all of this? And he goes, symbolism. I believe the word you're looking for is symbolism. <laughs> so it's a fantastic, fantastic quote. And it's also I feel like I've seen the movie now. You know, it's good job, guys. That's the whole thing. Guys, yeah. let us know if you just want us to recreate movies for you with different voices. <laughs> I think, you know, basically, so fun fact my sister and I, when we were growing up, my dad didn't have cable, internet, any of that stuff because his religion at the time was like mm, evil. It's not working out. No, so now I just have like. Everyone to know as soon as Emma said evil, the curtain lusted <laughs> up. The ghost was entering your head. So, just- ah, that's symbology. <laughs> The symbology here is you should work That was very good timing. But anyway, so because he didn't have those things, we were forced to entertain ourselves in other ways. And a lot of that was recreating scenes from our favorite movies just between the two of us. And Emperor's New Groove was like a hot one. If you've never heard this podcast, you probably still know that Emma is obsessed with Emperor's New Groove. I love it. It's my favorite movie. I can't. Oh, I love it so much. I want to take a second. Tammy, have you seen The Emperor's New Groove? Is this one an animated one? Yes. It's a Disney film. Yes, I've seen. Is that the with with Cusco? Yes. Yes. Yes, I have seen that one. Okay. Now, some of you might be thinking to yourself, where is this Tammy girl from? She sounds interesting. Well, let me tell you, we're bringing a third continent this week because she is from South Africa. And (laughs) uh, she is not British. She is South African, but British in her heart, just like I am. So, uh, Tammy, where are you from in South Africa? And also, answering everyone's burning question, did you grow up with lions? Well, I am from Johannesburg, which is like the big city that does not look Very famous. Yeah. So, like, people would only really go there for, like, business or crime. Or bodybuilding if you're Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) Business opportunities, legal or illegal. (laughs) So, I noted in in Schitt's Creek this week, this week in my viewing schedule, they spoke about going through, like, a roadblock with police in Johannesburg. Mm -hmm. So, that's where I am from. I did not grow up with lions, but I saw a lot of lions growing up, which was fun which is nice. Um, but yeah, that's the strange accent going on. I'm from Africa. Exotic. <gasps> and that's also why I haven't seen all these movies because we were like 20 years behind everyone else. Yeah, like Canada plus 10. So. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> but not as nice. We're not that nice people. The only other thing I wanted to note was that, um, and I guess I could in theory put this in the bees, but it's not specific to me. Okay. It's, it's when men call women easy. Mm. but mm-hmm. here's my thing who usually puts in the effort to have sex guys guys so so who's really the easy one because you're kind of like making it so easy for me <laughs> to get what I want and have sex with you like you're gonna do it so like men call women easy but they have to put so much effort in to getting her to sleep with them it's like well you're kind of the easy one because all I had to do was show up to dinner so <laughs> in a related but unrelated note So there is this custom in Australia where if you ask them to do something, instead of just saying, okay, or yes, they say too easy. So this comedian, I can't remember who, but he got so annoyed because he was there for like a week. And so at some point he asked somebody that was nearby for like a Coke and the guy goes too easy. And he goes, fine, can I have a Coke chilled to zero, then unchilled, then taken through a river, then called out the other side and then handed to me on a leaf. (laughs) so uh that is my note for too easy men if it's too easy create a more complicated request 
Ask us to solve. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> you're calling me easy, but it's really like it's, it's easy in the sense that like I didn't have to do anything. So I called you easy. I want a name. <laughs> I have to. It's an encyclopedia, I'm sure. So <laughs> I'll have to give you a collection of names. I don't get called easy. I get called other things. So like beautiful and wonderful yes and valued yes i was gonna say like fashionable and cool actually fun story when i took emma around paris oh here we go had a ton of super fun outfits emma. um and- super fun for hannah means like scantily clad <laughs> there were genuinely two occasions on which i sat on the bed and i was like i'm not leaving this apartment with you looking like that young lady <laughs> you will put on pants in the american sense trousers in the british sense and you will you will cover yourself i am not getting kidnapped liam neeson is not my dad we are not making it out of this so anyway in a separate incident where she was wearing an actually very cute outfit very nice clothes we were walking by and i was showing her like if you go around the Eiffel Tower, so you can pay all the money and you can go into the Eiffel Tower. Was this the first night we were there? Yeah. Yeah. So kind of across the road, there's a park where you can physically look at the Eiffel Tower, pay no money at all and sit down, which is what we did. So the first night before we did anything, I was like, you need to see the Eiffel Tower. You're an American in Paris. That's, that's gotta be number one. So I took her over and as we were walking around, there's always, always, always typically like Senegalese or Nigerian guys who are selling Eiffel Tower replicas. Mm-hmm. So it's like the little Eiffel Tower things, which Tammy will know because she's been to Paris. Um, <laughs> have a pink one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they're always walking around like five euro, cinq euro, blah, blah, blah. And so to get your attention, of course, they'll do quite a lot to bring you over, whether they'll say like, for you, five, four, one, blah, blah, blah. And to Emma, they kept shouting, Lady Gaga, Lady Gaga, <laughs> as she was walking by. So now I constantly identify her as Lady, Lady Gaga. Gaga. <laughs> I don't know why either. She does not dress anything like Lady Gaga, but I guess you take it, you know, Lady Gaga's right. It was a very weird connection. I had like, I had long brown extensions at the time. So I had very long brown hair. And I was like, I just feel like there's not a single part of me that looks like Lady Gaga at this moment. How she much, was wearing clutter though. Yeah, but how much of your dress was made of meat at the time? <laughs> only 20%. Yeah, <laughs> only the one well, underwear. I didn't want to tell them that, though, but I guess they knew. So. They could smell it. It was a bacon moment. <laughs> <laughs> bacon Moving so swiftly onward. <laughs> um, one of the other things that I wanted to talk about was the fact that, okay, we've identified that Tammy is from South Africa, mm-hmm. but just like us, she is a hardworking woman, modern woman energy, and she moved from a place where it would have been fine for her to get a job and hang out and that would have been okay to a place that she loved. And I would love her to talk about that because I think it's super empowering and it's super cool. And we've obviously bonded, Tammy and I, uh, hearing about this. And it's something that I think most of my closest friends have in common, which is mm. just nice. Yeah. So tell me, what was it like? Yeah, so I mean, much like like Hannah, I kind of grew up with an English heart and I just knew I had to move to England one day, like you guys were saying a couple of podcasts ago. I kind of went to England on holiday. As soon as I stepped off the place, I was like, I'm home. So knew I was going to come back and started kind of walking towards that path and then said to everyone, like I didn't have a goodbye party. One, because I don't like... I like doing an Irish exit, but- Tammy loves an Irish exit. Love an Irish exit. <laughs> I disappear very well. 
but I was like, oh no, I'm just going to go for like a couple of months. And it's now been like four years. <laughs> so, so I'm here, um, but I love it. And I think it's, I also really bond with a lot of people who do this sort of thing. Like there's some kind of independence and self-confidence that grows within you when you can do this. And it feels also like you're in this kind of club of, you know, I know I can do anything I want to do and I do it. So yeah, also also in England and loving it. And I guess I live here now. Uh, she does. And she's not going anywhere because I will absolutely lose my mind. I will also say, uh, I get asked a lot and I got asked a lot, especially when I moved here. Are you moving with your family or mm. with your boyfriend or like a partner? And I was like, nope. And mm. nobody understood what that, like, what? That's so hard. So I, I just want to say also, like, all three of us have done this sans, like, not without a support system, because obviously, you know, we each have people that are supporting us, but yeah. without, like, a family moving with us yeah. or a boyfriend or a partner moving at the same time and just, like, moving as a unit kind of mm -hmm. thing. I also didn't do the whole move with a job thing, which I would suggest one does. <laughs> one should do that <laughs> one should do that i mean i had to find a job very quickly but yeah do that do you get a job first i had the right to work so that was good but at least i figured that out first but yeah come with a job but you don't need a boyfriend on your arm to make sure you can get through things because you're fine amen honey i got a boyfriend period about that <laughs> just Ooh. really need a dog that's Speaking probably which, um everyone stay tuned because tammy is single and happy so her secrets to life are coming so mm -hmm. just stay tuned <laughs> what? Uh, what what does that mean <laughs> emma is there anything else that you wanted to chat about because i know you have extensive lists of great things well, let me consult one more time to see if there's anything lighthearted enough. I will say, so I went to Washington Square Park for the first time not too long ago. So I'm officially- Which is very New York of you. <laughs> and I saw the Rat Man. And if you don't know who the Rat Man is, he's very famous on social media and TikTok and other platforms like that. And it's a man who dresses like a rat and he acts like a rat. And that's how he's famous. He, he has like a giant rat head that he wears, a tail. And he runs at people. He hops on trash cans. He's in the subway craziness anyway he was there and I was like it's the, I was with my friend Allison I was like it's the rat man blah, 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 blah. and she was like who's the rat man and I was like this is the rat man and um so we experienced him which was I videoed it which was great and then you know you go it, it was so crowded because it was like the first nice day of the season and most people are in masks but like social distancing doesn't really exist at this point so we're kind of like let's just walk around and get out of here. So I walked by an art stand that had, they had painted stones and maybe pottery. And it was the lip, eye lip eye emoji. Like painted. <laughs> it, was, it was like stones or, you know, like little pieces of work. And it was like, eye lip eye. And I was just like, ah, I took a photo of it. So I was like, I'm not a snapshot this. So um, I will make a note now to post it because otherwise I won't do it. And even then it's kind of up in the air. So I have a little getting to know us quiz that we shall each answer. It's one question. So I feel like we are all capable of passing it. And it's judging you based on your Netflix. So literally the title of the quiz, playbuzz.com for those of you who want to play along, is what does your Netflix say about you? So each of you shall pick your favorite episode out of these selected shows, uh, your favorite show out of these shows on Netflix, and it will tell me what it says about you as a person. Okay. Now, I have gone first. I have charged and led the way. I have 
paved the path. So the options are Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Fuller House, so the Full House reboot, Grey's Anatomy, Gossip Girl, The Vampire Diaries, Friends, Sherlock, and Orange is the New Black. Now right. I had to I had to really put a gun to my head here and think, Hannah, you can only watch this for the rest of your life. You have to choose one. It has to be your favorite because a lot of these I, I like. So I put the gun to my head and I went with Grey's Anatomy. Did I do this knowing that one of you would probably choose Friends? Yes. And it's for the sake of content, because if we all picked Friends, nothing good would happen. (laughs) I picked Grey's Anatomy. I led the way. And it says about me, I'm friendly. Is Grey's Anatomy friendly? I don't know. I just know that the mastery of the quiz tells me that I'm friendly. So apparently I am. I mean, you make a lot of people cry. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of death. All right, are you guys ready for the quiz? Mm-hmm. Yes. All right, now, Tammy, as a guest, we shall let you go next because obviously everyone's gonna wanna choose friends and it is very difficult to go if you can't choose friends knowing <laughs> that you need the content to be different. So in a totally blind taste test, mm-hmm. what show would you pick? <laughs> well, I have an answer, but I must say, Orange is a New Black right at the end there almost took it because I joined Netflix just for Orange is the New Black like really? way back in the day when that was like the only show on Netflix. Okay. I was like, I'm here for this. So that was a big moment, but obviously friends. Yeah. Match. So what does it say about you? I'm friendly. It's calculating the results. Just oh. you wait. You're lovable. Ah. I'm unlovable. Lovable. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Everybody hates you. Everybody <laughs> hates you. You are lovable. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, Thanks. Um, out I don't know you that well, but um, so far I would have to agree with the results. So I would say she's definitely lovable. Yeah. 10 out of 10. Would recommend to a friend. All right, Emma, do you need the choices again or do you have your answer? Gossip Girl. Nice. XOXO. Gossip, Gossip Girl. Who are you most like on Gossip Girl? Ooh, good question. Blair. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I know it. <laughs> I'm a Blair. Like, I know you, <laughs> some- Emma. It says you're a trendsetter. Oh, it's oh, true. Oh. I bet you like New York. I adore it. I do. <laughs> Sit on the, the steps of the public library, you know, in the Met, drink my blue coffee cup. It's fine. It's casual. I will say it's very complicated because a lot of friendships want you to have like a Serena and a Blair and Emma and I are both Blairs. So it does make life a little more difficult when we're living in a gossip girl world. I mean, I actually mostly have Blair friends. Like Serena can, they can be a little bit too happy and a little bit too like. And there's like a 50-50 shot they'll steal your boyfriend. So it's just not a safe bet. They seem a little wild in the wrong way. You know? <laughs> I think that Hannah and I are Blairs in different ways, though. You know? Yeah. For like, sure. I'm conniving. Yeah, I'm not. And <laughs> Hannah's very loyal. Yeah. So. <laughs> I am very traditional. Mm. And Emma is more the wild Blair when she lets loose. Mm-hmm. I would I like say. That I'm Blair at the, uh, when Chuck buys that, that strip club and turns it into Victrola. a Victrola. Yeah. That's me. <laughs> All right, kids, let's get into this. It's time for the tea of the week. 
after we intro the episode because that's how this works. So you're doing I'm so great. I'm doing just fine. This is the it's second fine. week in a row that we have struggled with the. Uh, so Hannah always like gets all my cakes not having the audios pulled up, but recently it's been Hannah being like play the music and I'm like this isn't a music cue <laughs> I just really feel like I'm RuPaul and I'm like let the music play <laughs> so uh let's start this again mm-hmm. with gusto it's time to intro the episode Emma what okay. can you say I think so I am Hannah and I'm Emma and we have a guest please state your name for the record hi I am Tammy Ta-da! And this is the transcontinental tea, where the only person actually drinking tea is Tammy. (laughs) I am in an OJ mood today. I have coffee, as I always do, because it sustains me. You know what I think it's time for, Emma, is a tea of the week. All right. What? Okay, that, just so everyone knows, that clip is not Hannah and Luke. It's from the movie Easy A. I was trying to figure out who the hell was doing that. I was like, I can't believe you got Luke on board. <laughs> With the flipping T, 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 T. I was like, he must have been restrained and held down. Okay, that's from a movie. Good to- the thought of never. Luke contributing. To- Luke is my husband, for those who are not familiar. The thought of my husband contributing to audio for the podcast is more ridiculous than getting Donald Trump to not spray tan. Like, it would just never happen. <laughs> As Luke would say, it's a girl's podcast, so. It's a girl's podcast. <laughs> yeah, okay, first of all, men listen, okay? I've had many men tell me that they listen, so. Many men. At least three, so. Possibly five. Who knows? Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe. So, okay, okay. The tea. We have, the tea a, the we have three tea today because we have three people so i think we shall have rice the tea oh so side note really quick teeny tiny sidebar i was talking to my mom about something and i said the word thrice Mm. and she was like what is wrong with you who talks like that (laughs) i was like me (laughs) she's like why you just say three of and i'm like because thrice is quicker it's also slightly snobby and we love that (laughs) and it's pompous and that's something i really identify with so it's assertive and arrogant (laughs) (laughs) so in the spirit of sportsmanship i think that our guest should give her tea first (gasps) that's difficult okay no pressure no truly also edit this out depending on the quality of the tea it will be fun it's great so my tea is that i sold my car recently and which is very exciting but I had to do it like in the middle of lockdown and, you know, strong, independent woman. And I also, it wasn't a good enough car to take to like a garage to sell mm. or like a used car dealership type vibe. So I had to go kind of the internet route. And I have also found that recently I've surrounded myself with like pretty non-atrocious men. So I was surprised at the kind of general population that lives kind of outside of out of my borders of society and it it was not enjoyable so one of the gentleman callers for my car was um like a middle-aged I don't know middle-aged like 40 year old man uh who came with his wife and his brother and we had agreed on a price for the car like over the phone it was 800 dirt cheap good car and we did a little test drive around Now, I was also worried about the test drive because 
in my head, you never go to a second location with a man because he's going to murder no. you. Murder. Yeah. Murder. Most foul. <laughs> you just, you, you die there. You don't yeah. get in the car. So I was like, well, I can't test drive it. And then my housemates were like, so you're going to give your car to someone who wants to buy it. And then what are you going to say to the police when they don't return? So I was like, oh, <laughs> good point. So I got in the car with this gentleman. He drove like a speed racer. It was terrifying. He also reversed over a, like a circle while there were police coming towards us. And then so asked, just yeah. for those yeah. who don't know, the circle is like a roundabout. Oh yeah. So it's like a circle of traffic. Yes. That one is supposed to go around. Go around. You're not also supposed to go around it backwards. So he did Actually. that. <laughs> yeah. He did that. And then a police car popped out. And then he said to me, would you like to drive now? So I said, no, thank you. It's your car. Anyway, we, you know, we kind of came back. He said there were lots of problems with the car that went problems. One of them being like every time, um, like every couple of seconds, it makes a noise, but he would drive over potholes and like the cat's eyes on the road and then hear a noise. And that would be like, do you hear that thumping? (laughs) Yeah, that would be the car moving. And he was like, no, you have to give me money to fix that. So I was like, that's not a problem. And no, thank you. And then he was looking at the wheels and he was like, no, the tire brands are different and that's illegal. That's not illegal. illegal. And then he basically kept trying to haggle. So my price that I said was 800. He then was like, okay, 200. (laughs) No. (laughs) And we just kind of went back and forth, back and forth. At one point he was like, no, look, my wife is pregnant. You need to help me. And another point he said, well, I took an hour Uber to get here. So you have to give me money for that back because you told me to come. And I was like, that was your decision. Um, he kind of kept traveling, kept going, kept going. Still, the highest he got to was 400. So I was like, thank you, sir, for your time. No, I'm going to go inside. Good morning to you. Have a good day. <laughs> very surpri- surprised that someone would reject his courtesy and his money. It was not we offer of 300 pounds. <laughs> Thanks for your half offer. No, thank you. Just was very much shocked that I wasn't bending to his manly charms. Hmm. Um, so I left him. And then half an hour later, he called me back with, you know, like an extra 50 added on. No, thank you. Call me back. And then this happened like three times over. And then eventually started screaming down the phone that I'd wasted his time. So there are men out there still who, who aren't great. I was reminded of that. I was not happy about that. But then the next week I, I sold it off to a lovely gentleman who just a sweetheart. So I was unfortunately reminded the shitty guys still out there. But yeah. And I remember that in every single day. <laughs> every day Emma has one of those experiences. Emma will tell us more about them. <laughs> well. And you're living in London right oh, yeah, now. In London. So this guy theoretically traveled an hour into London. And then got there and was like, so I remember us talking about 800. I think 200 is what you meant. Yeah. So he's not good at listening. That's mm, quick math. <laughs> so what I'm hearing is that you don't understand what a price is. <laughs> um, also, the wind is crazy here today. So if you hear like, ooh, it's not haunted as far as I yeah. know. <laughs> the wind is it genuinely sounded like a drone was like flying over you like you were getting dive bombed a minute ago I was like mm. nope it's just wind. <laughs> it's wind and I 
have very thin walls despite this being a sturdy building so uh, lots of draftiness mm. i was just thinking to myself amazon drones is that you is it is it you coming in for a landing to deliver some goodness to us <laughs> if only it was but <laughs> alas it's just weather so my tea of the week surprisingly normally this is emma's role is actually also about men mm. and I am usually the defender of men, mostly because I have a husband that I like, and I sometimes take up for, I don't, I don't do the not all men, but I at least say not my man. Um, But in general, I try to have like a balanced perspective. This week, however, I don't know if any of you have ever gone through this, but it's like, it's not one thing that happened. It's like a series of unfortunate events, much like the television show, except Jim Carrey was not involved. And I thought it was um, no Patrick Harris. It was for the TV show. You're right. The movie was the movie. Jim Carrey. Yes. The TV show was Neil Patrick Harris, neither of whom were present for these Correct. events. So basically what happened is there's a guy who's sort of in my social circle. He goes to my church. I see him on an, a normal, like semi-frequent basis. So we're in the same community. We're not in the same group of friends as it were, but we're friends with friends. So kind of in the same social scene so for like a year and a half now he does the middle school thing of like throwing things at you or like hitting you in the back but it's always to your back and it's always like to me seemingly trying to get attention but it's always aggressive so like he'll hit you with stuff or like try to wrap you in stuff and he does it to a lot of different women but he does it he's done it he's done it to me several times and saying no means nothing because your no is useless because you're a woman. So if you're saying no, obviously what you're saying is do it more often or I can't take a joke. Those are the only two options that he accepts. So this goes on for like the whole time that I know him, but kind of intensifies towards the end of the last year. And then he ended up hitting me like square in the back with something at an event that we were at. And I genuinely was in so much pain that I cried, which like I cry a lot. So that's, it's a low bar for me, but in general, like you hit someone with something, they cry. One feels remorse. One says, I'm sorry, etc. And he sort of did like a laughing apology, like, I'm sorry. And then went on like to laugh about it later with other people that like, you know, it was so dramatic. Anyways, needless to say, I basically told him at that point, like, you're not in my life. Like, I do not accept this. This is not okay. It's not okay for you to treat people this way. I'm not okay with it. Like we're not friends. So luckily for me, lockdown happened. So I hadn't really seen him much, but he kept randomly sliding into like my Instagram DMs or like anytime he would see me, he would say something to me. And it's always like nice stuff. None of it's like super aggressive, but it's like a lot of it is like, that's great hair great outfit, great top, great jeans, great boots. You look really good today. You looked really good on Sunday, blah, 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 blah. And like, it's nothing like that you could say like that is inappropriate, like right there. But the, the, over time, the amount of things that he says about me, like my appearance and things like that, it's just so over the top. And basically he just, it's kind of, he like, won't leave me alone. So it's not constant. Like if I'm not with him, he's not like messaging me, but he's harassing me anytime I see him. 
And the annoying thing for me is, and, and I'm super frustrated about it because it's the thing of like, he's just being nice. Like if you tell anybody about this, oh, he's just being nice. Oh, he's just complimenting you. Oh, he just wants you to feel good about yourself. And I'm like, listen, honey, I got it. Like, I feel good about myself. I don't need you to tell me that I look good. I have a husband. I'm fine. And all the weirder is this guy doesn't want to talk to my husband for anything. Like, will not look him in the eye. It's so strange. But like during lockdown, so Tammy can attest to this. We were living together before I got married. Tammy and I have a long and we were not her and this gentleman. Yeah, Tammy and I, not not myself and this guy. Uh, so Tammy and I were living together, and I would show her Instagram messages of like things that he responded to my story with that were just so weird. Like, I want you to feel so comfortable in your own skin, and like you don't need makeup to like blah 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 blah. Oh, blah. And I'm like, okay, okay. First of all, quick rage note. <laughs> like, I don't wear makeup for you, mm-hmm. so just shut up. And that's like all you need to know as a man. Like I wear makeup with a mask and that's how I know I'm not doing it for you. Okay. So let's just stop like that. The narrative. TikTok. Stop talking to women about, just stop talking to them. <laughs> Don't stop. talk to them. <laughs> stop telling them anything. But, but in general, like I don't have these kind of issues a lot. Like I have a very different interaction period mm-hmm. or interaction pattern with men than Emma does. So like Emma gets harassed pretty much on a daily basis and I really don't. So this is like really stressful for me because now anytime I'm in a space with him, it's like, I feel like I'm on alert. Like I can't relax and I'm like stressed about where he's going to be and what he's going to say to me. And to be honest with you, there's no resolution to this. Cause I, I still haven't figured out what I'm going to do about it, but it's just really uncomfortable. And I just wanted to tell the story because it's annoying and it's something that like, I wish more people would take seriously because the he's just being nice thing is 90% like I have a history with sexual trauma. So I will say maybe I'm more biased, but every single trial for sexual assault, someone in that courtroom for the perpetrator says he's a nice guy. He's just being nice. He was just being friendly. He just wanted to make sure she got home. Okay. All of these kind of sentences and it ends in something traumatic. Now I hope and I pray that this is not, where this is headed and that I'm being dramatic about this and that he will just buzz off and stop talking to me. But I'm also not a naive young woman who has not lived. Like she's been through life. So I I don't know what to do about this. You can be a what quote unquote nice guy, but you're doing not nice things. So now your personality of nice guy does not count. Yeah. So just stop doing the not nice things. Literally, like all this in my brain is turning around and screaming, leave me alone. Mm. And I do not feel like that is going to get me anywhere. So I'm just really sharing it because I think it's something that happens to people a lot that they don't really feel comfortable talking about because they're met with, oh, he's just being nice. Oh, he, he's just making you feel better. Oh, like, you know, the, the calm down, sweetie, head pat thing. So if any of you are dealing with this, I too am dealing with it. And I too... Have no idea how to fix it. Over to you, Emma. Well, in keeping with the trend, mine is also about a man. R.I.P., you know. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. This is not about a man that I know. This is not about a man that I've ever met. It's not about a man that I'm probably ever going to see again. It is about a man who tried to kidnap me. And I mean that almost literally. What? what? So <laughs> I'm, I was walking. I have a class in Manhattan on Wednesdays. So I'm walking right. to my car. So I park usually 
not the street right next to me, but the one down. So about a block and a half away. And it's raining, it's drizzly. It's like, eh, you know, and weather. And I'm walking to my car and I'm almost there. I'm like half a block away. And this car pulls up next to me. And at first he's wearing a mask and I, he's talking to me and I assume he's like asking if I'm going to leave my spot. So I'm like, oh yeah, I'm like, I'm about to leave. If you like want my parking spot. Cause there's no COVID other spot. Mask, like, like a oh, COVID mask. He's got to see, it's just, I can only see his eyes. He's got mask. a ski mask on, but I assume he's talking to me. Very about sus. Um, <laughs> so I'm halfway to my car and this car pulls up next to me and he, I can't understand him. Cause like I'm wearing a mask. He's wearing a mask and we're like maybe seven feet from each other. So you're like, right. So I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Like I'm leaving. Cause I heard, I heard like car and I was like, Oh, he's asking if I'm leaving so he can have my parking. So I was like, yeah, yeah I'm about to leave. He's like, no, no. Do you need a lift? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm good. Like my car is like right up the road. He's like, yeah, but like, do you need a lift? Like I can drive you to it. And I was like, no, I'm really okay. He's like, you can just sit in the back. And I was like, oh no <laughs> so I just like no walking. and I don't think he knew which car was mine but he did hover and park right next to it and like I got as quickly into my car as I could and I locked on my doors and then he waited about seven seconds and then he drove away 10 out of 10 chance Emma would be dead right now if Emma was dumb and was like yeah totally drive me into my car I like rides <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I bet he's a nice guy he's such like, a nice guy you know, he was nice such a nice guy. it was raining he was so considerate what a gentleman. Here's, here's the thing. Like, I'm 28, but I get told a lot that I look a little younger than that. And there are young girls who walk this neighborhood by themselves all the time. Like they walk to and from school, to and from the store, whatever, by themselves. And I was fully covered. So you couldn't see that I had tattoos. So maybe he thought that I was younger than I am, but that's like predator behavior. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I got to class and I was like, yes, I almost died. <laughs> Like straight up, like I would be dead if I got into that car. I guarantee it. So I also have a kidnapping story. It's not from recent events, but it was from the first time that I went to the UK. So my friend and I, we were with a tour group, but you could like break off. Um, And so we went, we got an Uber basically. And we were like, we were in London and we were like, okay, well, we're going to go to this thing. So order an Uber waiting outside our hotel. And this car pulls up. That's almost the same description as our Uber car. And I couldn't really see the license plate and I wasn't thinking about checking it. So I was just like, oh, it's like an infinity or whatever it was, uh, black infinity. Right. And so there's a guy sitting in the front and a guy sitting in the back. And we both, uh, my friend and I both go to get in and we happen to be sitting there and he said something like, oh, Uber, Uber. And I was like, yeah, Uber. And he hadn't locked the door. So he's the worst kidnapper in the world. And also he was like reversing into a no through zone. So there were like ballards up. So like the bollards that you can't drive through. And so he was like reversing into that. He parked and the guy in the back and I just got this sense. I was like, this is a bad situation. So I look at my friend and I'm like, we need to get out. We need to get out. We need to get out. And he was not driving, but we were in the car. And so he was like about to start reversing again to make part of his 97 point turn out of this hotel. And my Uber driver calls because you know how they can call you uh, through the app. I was like, okay, we need to go. We need to go. We need to go. So I yank my friend out of the car and we get into the Uber and I'm like, we almost died. We almost died. We almost got kidnapped and died. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. So check the license plates, kids. That has been kidnapping with us. The next thing that I think we need to talk about is Emma's bees. But before that, should we possibly give people a hint about what we're going to talk about today? Maybe? Just a teeny tiny one. Just like me. That's it. 
<laughs> so we are going to be talking about eating disorders. So many of you know, because you've listened to previous episodes, that both Emma and I are in ED recovery, which is not short for erectile dysfunction. We are both erecting just fine. So uh, <laughs> we are in eating disorder recovery. And so we've always wanted to talk about it because it's such an important part of our journey, our friendship. And also it's something that so many people suffer from without ever opening up to a friend about it. So it's something that we wanted to have our third friend at the table talk about because she happens to be a working psychologist who helped people with eating disorders make better life choices and get better. Yeah, how convenient. How cool. Convenient for the podcast. But first, we're gonna talk about dysfunctional men. MSBs! <laughs> Well, in the hive today is a it's a it's a bee that has come back around. And he's a returning bee. He's a returning bee, and he was like, "I'm pretty sure I got all that I needed from this flower." Just kidding, I'm back, and I was like, "The flower I'm is back dead. to pollinate." It's gone. <laughs> um, the petals have closed. We're done. It's fine. It's been picked. It's in a bouquet. It's gone. So now that the metaphors are out of the way, <laughs> the the bee in question is our not so slim shady. Who no, extremely slim and extremely shady. Correct, and he <laughs> disparaged our podcast. The thirty-two with slander <laughs> listeners, slander and lies. So every time, probably the last like four episodes, we've made a reference about like we only have thirty-two listeners to our stupid podcast. This is from this guy who was like, you, you remember a few episodes ago, more than likely, he was like, I hope the next time you talk about this on your stupid 32 listener podcast that you are fair and advantageous to men. Well, guess what? We are fair and men have no advantages except for what the patriarchy already gives them. So, so in your face, put that in your pipe. But Let's just do a quick recap on when I first met this guy was when I, this was like almost a month ago now, I think like a while ago. And we, we met and he, it just, and we didn't vibe in person, you know? And I was like, I had my friend cause I was in a, cause I do this to myself constantly. And I go to places and I put myself in unsafe situations. And is it really a surprise that I was almost kidnapped? Probably not. But I'm at his, his place and I call my friend, I text my friend Damaris at one point. And I was like, abort, abort, abort. And so she calls me with a terrible lie, but it was enough to get me out. And I left. My dog didn't finish his math. <laughs> no! no! <laughs> that stupid Skippy. I'm on my way. <laughs> he only listens to me. I'm his tutor. So, <laughs> um, so I am driving and he's blowing up my phone with like just he's just verbally assaulting me just saying this i'm a psychopath i need therapy i'm a terrible person i'm this this and that and i'm just like okay like all right you know and like i told hannah at first i was going to keep up the guise of like i i I wasn't trying to hurt him by saying like i don't like you so i was instead just like going along with it up until a point where i was like you know what i don't feel like we vibed in person i i i thought that it was best if i left like etc etc he recently popped up onto my Bumble again and I saw him and I was like, I don't want to match with you, but I want to see if you matched with me. 
And lo and behold, he did. So, and not only that, he extended our match immediately. So not only did he, he extended it. So on Bumble, you get 24 hours to message your matches and you or they can extend the match another 24 hours. So he did that immediately. So off the bat, I have 48 hours. Why would one extend it? So because after the 24, you lose that match. So let's say in the case that like, maybe I don't have, let's say I don't have my notifications turned on, you know, and the woman has to message the man first. So the men will yeah. extend so that they have a better chance of the women messaging them. You know? I was just thinking, why wouldn't you just say hello? Right. So because, because it's not a, a two-way street at the start, they usually extend so that you have longer to message them first. So he did that. And I wasn't going to message him. But in his, in his profile, because he had made a reference to me during the event as a, what did he call me? a psychopath something or other who's selfish yeah, he definitely used like psychopath the specific term yeah he called me interesting because he must have gone to either the diagnosis manual five or possibly the other diagnostic manual i think it's like ip something so that's good that he's looked that up in advance yeah yeah like, yeah you know, just so you know you meet all of the criteria you are actually a i had no idea you know like <laughs> sociopath was debatable yeah i mean i was like sociopath probably but psychopath i had no idea so crazy um literally crazy so he called me a selfish psychopath so i knew in his bio when he made this reference he because there's prompts on bumble right and one of them is i'm hoping you dot 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 and some people will be like like sushi or you know don't mind if i fart when i'm asleep kind of thing but he wrote i'm hoping you aren't a selfish psychopath so also, I was like, as an aside, he forgot the apostrophe, which really bothers did. me. Our aunt, you know, whatever. How, how do you pronounce it with, uh, without the apostrophe? What is it? A rent. A rent. <laughs> A rent. Yes. So um, he's not the, the brightest bee in the hive, but he, he, I messaged him because of that comment. I was like, okay, I see what we're doing here. I was like, if only I wasn't a selfish psychopath. And he, his next message, he apologized to me. And I was like, oh, okay, like, that's what we're doing. Like, I thought this was going to go in a different, a different direction completely. And so I told him, you know, like, you know, I'm sorry that I hurt you. That was never my intention. Like I told you then, I'll tell you now, like, that's not what I wanted to do. So I'm sorry if that did hurt you because he tried to make it like a, oh, we should both be sorry at first kind of thing. And I was like, I'm sorry that it hurt you, but I'm not sorry for what I did or what I said. So I'm just uh, waiting for the butt. There it is. But he, always this one. <laughs> he says, and maybe he like missed the point where I basically admitted that like, yes, I had my friend call me to get this out, like get me out of the situation because he still believes that that was a real phone call that like I needed to go for, even though I had like, kind of like, I, I backed off on it once I realized like he was like, okay, clearly we are about the aware of the situation. I thought we were aware of the situation. He was not. He did maybe not he, get the memo. Maybe he's choosing to live in ignorance because otherwise it means that like, <laughs> I didn't want to hang out with him. So, and you know how men have such fragile egos. So probably that applies for every date he's been on. He's like, women keep getting disastrous phone calls. <laughs> you know, what's so Gosh. annoying about dating in the modern world is all of the disasters that strike women on first dates. It's, it's not craziness. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he basically was like, 
oh, you know, like I was just so sick of like the liars and this, this and that. And it just really took me back to like the moment where I was like, this man is putting way too much pressure on himself in his dates because this is online dating. You have to just take the L and move on because like- Yeah, you just got to paddle onward. You gotta, it's like, it's it, that's just the nature of it, you know? So like, you can get mad that you think all these girls are I'm like, well, what's the common denominator? Are all of the girls you're dating liars or are you just like obsessed with them immediately and freaking us out? So- I actually want to get Tammy's input real quick because we have had the discussion many times about what would you do in a situation where- which is kind of arbitrary because obviously I'm old and married, so I count for nothing. But in a dating situation, what would you do if you wanted to get out of a date? So would you, A, which is Emma's favorite option, it's speed dial for her, call someone and have them create some sort of disaster scenario. There was an earthquake in just your apartment building. Oh no! Um, So like some disaster to get you out of said date, which not infrequently is Emma trying to extricate herself from someone's home because she what makes unsafe choices. No. That's right. I have done it in public. I've done it in public too. I will say true. So. True. So would you a get a disaster phone call or B tell the person that you're not interested in continuing to see them and end the date in like earnest, I guess. I but consider it. that you're consider the situation you're in though in public, maybe, but if you're at someone's house that you don't know, what route would you take? So, would you end up in someone's house that you don't? That's have? not the question. <laughs> I will give you option C. So, option A, like no. Also, just a lot of admin, and I'm not great with that. It's a lot of admin. Tammy does not answer her phone in the best of times. So. Going to for me, it's not going to happen. So, She'd miss her own disaster phone call. <laughs> this is true. Um, B is what I want to say. C is what actually happens to me, which is why I've had to take a little bit of a step back from the dating game. Because I do the whole thing of instead of getting out of the situation, I'll just sit until it gets real bad. Oh, no. (laughs) Then I have to process it for months after that. So that is an option, which we can commend Emma for not taking. So that's good. But now I have learned how to get out of the situation. But yes, I mean... Even from my own experience, one of the best things is to not go to the second location, i.e. the home. <laughs> Emma does not understand. You remember I the second location the thing death. about her test drive where the second location is where you get murdered and the first <laughs> location is where you have public witnesses? <laughs> Listen, I take my knife with me. <laughs> you want to come back to mine for drinks? No. No, no, I don't. Well, that's the you thing. The second location is I the value first my kidneys. <laughs> I value. I was in that situation where I was like, "Well, now it's the middle of the night, and I can't get home because I don't know where I am, and I don't know where the keys are, so I might just sleep on the couch." No. <laughs> I've never been. I had a very awkward conversation about how it was lovely, but please take me home. I'm an uber queen in those situations. Like you don't, you don't. If I let's say, like I had ever gone to a guy's house for a hookup or something, like you know how like some people will stay over and like there's like a whole running joke of guys who were like, oh yeah, well your Uber's outside. Like no, don't worry, I'll call my own. Like Mm -hmm. I've got it. (laughs) Like me, I've got it. But I digress. Now that we have established that Hannah and Tammy are both smarter than me, and it's fine. I I said to him because he said like 
I'd be willing to try again or start over if you want. And I was like, where in my head, like to myself, I'm thinking, where in your brain do you think we could possibly return back to where we were after all of the things that you said to me, after no. the freak out that you had and the clear immaturity that you displayed, like, no. So reminding me just like this guy. <laughs> he's just like, but wait, you are not a flower that I've pollinated. So why mm. are you not here for... Yeah. Why are you not receiving this gift? Well, I well because know. to him, he really thought, maybe he really thinks I left for an emergency and then he freaked out on me. And then like, I don't know where in his brain that turned into like, but we could like, we could hang out again, you know? So and I was just like, a chance. <laughs> so what I told him was like, you know, we can be friends, but I don't see how we could possibly ever return to like a romantic state. And he says, I have enough friends. And he unmatches me. <laughs> I was like, okay. Like, and none for Gretchen yeah. Wieners. Bye. <laughs> I was like, okay. Because I was just trying to be nice, you know, like. Well, it's interesting to me because I don't know if you remember a few episodes ago, we talked about Chrissy. So Chrissy sent in the whole saga of this horrific date with a guy. He was insane. Absolutely insane. Very interesting from a psychological perspective because he completely ignored her responses and created his own narrative. So literally at the end of her being like, I do not want to see you. I am not interested in pursuing a relationship. Oh he'd be like, I'll talk to you tomorrow when you're in a better mood. So like, this reminds me of that. Like we can start over again. <laughs> right. Like clearly you're having a moment. Let's like, let's take a second. Just sit back. And it's like, I don't need to, because genuinely your assessment of me just wanting to leave was correct. So I didn't want to be there. So I made myself not there. It was pretty easy, you know? <laughs> so. And I believe there was one, one more little errant B that warranted mention. And yes. Let's talk about him. Okay. So I think it was last week I had met someone online and occasionally I get along well with someone. It's not often that it happens, but sometimes it, I want to talk to them for more than like two minutes at a time. And uh, this was one of those people we were getting along really well. We exchanged numbers, like we were chatting. And I think it was the second day after we had kind of already like talked about our situations and like giving information about ourselves, you know, like we were, we were having genuine conversations and I, previously had spoken about on this podcast, a catfishing incident that I went through. And that left me with a sense of distrust more than I had before, because this man put so much effort in that being verified, having an Instagram, like all these things, they mean nothing to me yeah. because people steal my photos all the time. And I also don't know how accurate this guy and the first guy wasn't verified. And this guy was so like, I knew like, he's probably not a catfish, but for my own peace of mind, I need to check because I right. don't know what the facial recognition technology is like, like how accurate is it? Does it, can you stand far enough away from the camera and like do the sun, the pans that they make you do and still get away with pretending to be this person? Like, I don't know. Right. So, so I asked him to send me a video of him saying hi to me specifically. And he does it, but he is like grievously offended that I asked him to do this. And uh, so he goes on to tell me like how much, like how he went all in with his trust and this, this and that. And I was like, we've known each other for two days now. You've never met me. Like you should not have trusted that I was who I said I was so quickly off the bat. Like you should always be checking that who you're talking to in a serious way is who you're talking to. Like I make it easy. I have 2000 plus posts on my Instagram 
And I don't get offended when people ask me to prove who I am. Like, I don't care. Like, because I have nothing to hide and like, I'm a mature individual. So for you to be like, so upset that I ask you to show me who you are, I don't care what you've sent me. I don't care what photos or videos you've sent me. If you don't say hi to me specifically, I won't believe it's you deep down until you prove that to me. And I don't think that's illogical. Tammy, I'd love to get your take on it. Yeah. If you are getting upset about needing to prove something, it's because you're lying. Like, otherwise it's not difficult. Yes, sister. Like, and right. I, I just, I, there, there's no kind of going around that. And so, and he, he was who he said he was, but it doesn't matter to me because at that point, you know, and then he, he switched gears and he cold shouldered me the whole day. And I can't deal with that. Like I've had exes use ignoring me as a way to get what they yeah. want out of me and to manipulate me. And so for me, that's like instant, like I'm done. I can't yeah. do that. Yeah. So. And I also just think like, you know, I think I've said this to Hannah like so many times, like when you're dating, like dating, dating, you're on your best behavior. You're like you're basically in an audition for a couple of months. But I would think it's the same, like when you're doing online dating, you're still trying to show your best side. But I'm also going to be thinking, okay, any reaction you give me, that's going to be how you react in a bad situation. Mm -hmm. So if a guy is getting so pissy just because you're asking him for a certain video, like how is he going to be when, I don't know, you do something not fully right? Like, Yeah, I was like, if you can't handle this, yeah. You cannot handle what's coming because mm. like I have not given you even a dip into the water. Well, yeah. and I saw this post on Facebook that I sent to Emma immediately when we were talking about this. And it was literally this guy, like it, it was a nice profile picture. And then this guy holding up a sign that said like Amanda, I don't know if that's her name, but Amanda, please stop doubting and believe me and the date. And he's holding up the sign. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, wow. And then I read the caption in the posts and like all of the threads of comments and it was Photoshopped. So they zoomed into the guy's hands oh. and he was holding a different color piece of paper. And then they found the guy because in one of his pictures, he was doing like a clothing advert for like a local business. And so they contacted the local business. It was a whole investigative story. I was very interested, but cut to, it was not this guy. And he'd held up this paper sign and the sign was Photoshopped, which all of these girls were like, oh yeah, this is definitely Photoshopped. My husband's a photographer, this is Photoshopped. Or I can see from the corners that he didn't smooth the edges. So like, I just 100% think if you get, in, and I've said this a ton on the podcast, if you get in any way defensive about proving your identity when you are meeting someone virtually online, you are not to be trusted. There is something Shady McShaderson about you. Why are these guys... Like, or are they adverse to a FaceTime? It was not even like, it, it's, at that point, it wasn't even like we hadn't even talked about that. It was more so like, he was asking me to like tell him something about myself that like, I don't share with people that I don't necessarily trust. Mm-hmm. So at that point I was like, I will do that if you yeah. like at this point, prove that you are who you say you are, because then I'll know that we're both being vulnerable and I can't be vulnerable with someone who isn't, being honest with me and so maybe to him it was like about looks but for me it goes beyond you saying you look like someone else and it goes into you're manipulating me and that's you're violating me and bringing me into a situation that I never asked to be a part of 100% so it makes the first time I felt disgusted I felt gross I felt used Mm -hmm. and I was like I'm never letting this happen to me again so most guys will be totally okay with a FaceTime or they try to meet really really quick 
So then I'm like pretty positive, like, oh, you're not a catfish. Mm-hmm. But when you come to me with like, oh, work is so crazy. Like, I don't know when I'm going to be free. This isn't that. Mm, sus. Which yeah. I've learned the youths mean suspicious. It's true. <laughs> Tammy, did you know about sus? I did, but that's because I work with the youths. You know the youths. I also now know that skinny jeans, not just from your podcast. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> are so very out. So very out. I mean, to the point that within our, so I work in an eating disorder clinic. Um, so we try and kind of to keep things not very, like we don't want to make people feel more body conscious than they already are. So we say like, you can't wear tight leggings or tight skinny jeans. And one of the young people were like, but who even wears skinny jeans anymore? And I was like, I do, you no. vicious monster. <laughs> Don't start with me, you vicious trollop. And I was wearing skinny jeans at the time. It was very rude. So the youths. You were like, me, I'm your, you're beating with me right now. So <laughs> this session is I, over. Also I will just, fight you. I also just want to briefly talk about Tammy because in this bees segment, obviously we're talking about all of the dysfunctional men that slide into and out of the chat for Emma. But- Tammy is a single woman. She's a modern single woman in London. So Tams, what is singleness like for you right now? Are you trying to date, not trying to date? And if so, or if not, why? So singleness is good. It's, I mean, it's always a process. And I think it's, I mean, I remember when I was like in the last couple of months of my previous relationship, I was like, oh, singleness looks so nice. And so there's, you know, when you're in a relationship, there are things that singleness looks like fun. And when you're feeling slightly lonely, parts of relationship look like fun. So I've been trying to kind of focus on what I enjoy about singleness and what I want to move into the next relationship with. So Mm -hmm. going into it, I don't want to be in a dating relationship being like, damn it, I should have just done this when I was single or sorted that out. So trying to focus on me, but also at the same time, I'm in a very selfish season which isn't a problem because I'm really focusing on my career and I have a couple of steps that I need to get sorted and I really really don't want to be like what do you how would you say it I don't want to be altered my course to be altered by a man yeah you don't want to be sideswiped from your current path because of competing priorities exactly because I will resent you for it so yeah I mean although I mean, being single in London is not a problem if it were not COVID. Like there are so many places to meet such lovely men. And really, yeah, the opportunities are endless, except everyone is inside. So what is your opinion on online dating? Because obviously you hmm. two are a modern woman in a modern world. And I was I was online dating when it was like 2017. Mm-hmm. So many, many things have changed many things have changed in the world since I went out of the online dating scene. Mm-hmm. So what, what's the pro con list for you? Yeah. So I did some online dating back in 2018 and I just moved to a new place and I was like, okay, this is going to be kind of a nice way to kind of meet some people. Let's see what's out there. Um, it was also around the Cambridge area. And I was like, why are there so many Americans? And I didn't realize that there was an army base right there but I'm like what are you doing here yeah, there's a I first ton of them I thought they were all catfish because I was like that's a lie you are too far you're not an know. American <laughs> why are you here but yeah I mean I went on a couple of dates I think I just there were two things I kept forgetting which part of the conversation I was at with each man so like <laughs> oh. 
I never like, save their numbers and then they'll text me like a week later and I'm like, who is this? <laughs> like, oh, I go out for like, you know, we've gone out for drinks and I'm like, have I told you the story or not? I don't remember. You're all blurring. So that was difficult admin wise. Um, but then I think also just for me personally, and I don't necessarily know why this is. And I, because that I don't, because of that, I don't really have a judgment towards it. But for me, I don't want online dating to be in the story of my love life, like my marriage. And that's completely a judgment of mine. And I don't really know why that is. I haven't explored it that much, but it just, there's something about it that I'm like, oh, you know, that wouldn't sit well with you. Um, and I really like an organic connection in those first couple of weeks of like, oh, I think he looked at me this way, but maybe he was just had something in his eye. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's like, ugh, I mean, I understand that point of view. I definitely mm. prefer organic. I think that it's just more natural that way. Whereas yeah. I think that we're all just sort of trying too hard when it comes to digital dating most mm. of the time. But I also kind of dropped with COVID. I dropped that pretense. I think that once the world is whatever the new normal is going to be, I will be off the apps because I wasn't on them when I could go out and meet people. Yeah. So like, yeah. and I've told Hannah this in my dream is to have a meet cute in a bookstore where like we both reach for the same book at the same time. And I'm like- That's very specific. That's what I want. <laughs> so whenever I meet a guy, I'm like, here's what we need to do. <laughs> meet me oh, at- Let me do this bookstore. <laughs> meet me at the bookstore. Okay, you know, specific praise, so get on it. I mean, get on it. No. So, but I mean, I'm really reveling. Yeah. I agree, I'm reveling in the single life right now. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, that like, I feel like I'm in between, like I don't want casual, but I don't know that I want a boyfriend either. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, maybe I just want attention. I mean, that's, that's a good thing. We, we like attention. Again, that always makes me feel like I need a dog. I really want a dog. Yeah. That would serve a lot of things. But then you also have two dogs. And I'm like, maybe this isn't the answer. So. Um, I love them, but they're, I mean, it's a different kind of attention. You know, it's and like. they can't verbally validate you. Correct. Which is what we all want. So. <laughs> Yeah. I will I say that, my dog is very verbal and he doesn't validate me, but in my head, we have our own conversations where he does validate me. So I validate myself using him. <laughs> Hannah, maybe if you could make an app of just Luke saying some nice things and then, and then change his voice. That's my nice voice. No, but <laughs> no one else is getting that. <laughs> we can make that. That could be like a viable, like, so this is movie with God, what's the guy from To All the Boys I've Ever Loved? Noah Centineo, I think his name is, maybe. Okay, anyway, he's like a, he's like in his early 20s kind of actor, kind of like Timothy sure. Chalamet age. And he's in this movie called, I don't remember what it's called, like Perfect Date or something like that, where he, the girls will like tell him like what kind of date they want him to be and he'll be that date. So mm. for some people, it's like the, I want you to dress like you're really into like, tipping cows and driving tractors and things like this, you know, like the country boy or like the don't say anything. Just let me talk boy. And like, he does that for, he makes money doing it. So oh, that's creepy. I'm like, I mean, well, we can start that business. <laughs> so. yeah, I feel like in the States as well, it would be good. Like British boy compliments you. Mm. British boys are, I don't know. I, I mean, it depends if that's your thing. That's totally my thing. So I just, I have a British guy in one of my classes that I, I mean, I like talking to him. I don't know him very well, but we have conversations and we've moved into Instagram territory, no. but it's not, you know, I mean, he's early twenties, like he's young. It's like, it's not like a thing, he's but, a but it is, it's a nice little like, oh, you're cute little accent. 
Thanks, Prince Harry. Appreciate so. it. Oh, so um, right. that's all my bees for the day. So I think it's time to exit the hive and head for a large drink, a.k.a. a sip on this. Sippy sip. The tea is exceptionally good today. <laughs> Who made this? Mm, very delicious. Quite. Exactly. So as I said, we are going to be talking about eating disorders, eating but disorder yeah. recovery. Oh. I know we're just going to something seriously, but again, I thought that was Hannah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Hannah. Wendy oh. and I are very similar in a lot of our mannerisms and our heights, actually. I know sometimes I call you Wendy by mistake because you are so similar. So similar. Here we go. None of these voices are Hannah. So. <laughs> uh, moving swiftly onward. Not a single one. <laughs> Literally not a single one. <laughs> We are going to be talking about eating disorders. So I think it would be cool if Emma and I kind of open the table with this is our story with eating disorders and then kind of let Tammy dive in and mm. talk about from her perspective. Uh, I would love to kick us off because I usually make Emma go first to other things. And today I'm going to be just and fair. So my eating disorder journey would probably, I'd say it started when I was about 12 or 13. At the time, my stepmom, not married to my dad now, but was married to my dad then, was very verbally abusive. And one of the things that she really focused on with me was the word worthless. So a lot of what I was told as a child, like into the tween years, like late, late child, early teen years was you're worthless, you don't have any value, you're chunky, you are chubby, you're eating a lot, like kind of that kind of a spinning wheel. And I think one of the clearest memories I have of remembering that crossover between the point when you're a kid and you don't think about your body at all to thinking about my body image was she ordered a birthday cake for me and it was a hamburger birthday cake. And it was just like, to me, all it said was you are fat. Like that is all that cake said to me. I think it had like one candle. Like it was just like, you are fat. That's all I heard from that cake. And in fairness, I, I didn't realize it then, but I always had like a slower metabolism. It stems from my autoimmune disorder, which gets worse with age. So as you grow into puberty and as your hormones start to develop, it gets worse and worse and worse, which again, I didn't know at the time, but I thought it was something that I was doing wrong. So I remember being about like 13 or 14 and they had these like light blue pills at a pharmacy that I got and they were eating pills that like were supposed to make you skinny, you know, whatever crap they sell you of like detoxislim or uh, slimification. Like uh, there's always like a weird word with it, but like skinny somewhere in it. And I used to take those like they were crack. I have no idea what was in them. And I took like three or four a day and I hadn't altered my eating habits at that point. So it was all just like a journey of body dysmorphia where you, that's the initiation point for me, which is where you mentally have a different image of what your body looks like than what is actually in front of you. And it's often negative. So for me, that was kind of the beginning point. And then I got to my like late teen years and I had a lot of body image issues, but I hadn't done anything to change my eating habits. 
I had tried like random dieting bits, but nothing that was like super restrictive or anything like that. But I was definitely aware of my size. And I definitely noticed that I didn't look quote unquote, like other girls or in a quote unquote designed body type. Like I was not super skinny. I didn't have like little thin arms and like a thigh gap. So I remember that. And I remember thinking that that would mean that guys wouldn't like me. And so I really started to negatively associate my curves and having a different body shape from some of the other girls that I was in school with. And then when I joined the military, I, you have to go through a lot of health and fitness. Uh, I guess you'd call it training, but I think it's more just dogma when you join the military, which is you need to run a lot. You need to eat less one of the things at boot camp that they always told us was if you ate dessert, they would get those calories back from you. So they would make you exercise anytime you ate dessert or anytime you ate what the, what, more than what they thought was an acceptable amount of food. And they were constantly reinforcing to you, you need to be fitter, you need to run more, you need to be able to push your body more, you can't be overweight, you can't have like any sort of chunk or chub or any of those kind of slightly negative adjectives about being overweight. And I had never been very good at running. I had asthma when I was a kid and it took so much work to get myself to pass that PT test run, the physical fitness test run. And I was constantly made to feel bad about it. And so losing weight when I was in boot camp because they run you like a greyhound. And it initiated kind of this weird thing in my mind of like, I must stay thin. I am finally getting thin. I must stay thin. And so then after boot camp, I sort of went into this space of like eating how I normally ate and I wasn't restricting myself and I started to gain a lot of weight. And I was so confused about why I was gaining all this weight. Little do I know I have an autoimmune disorder. That's one of the symptoms. But I was I was convinced that there was something wrong with me, that I was doing everything wrong. And a cup like a year and a half to like almost two years into the my time in the military, I was so set that I had to lose weight because I'd gotten feedback from my line managers, I'd gotten feedback from other people in my unit. You are overweight, you need to lose weight, you're overweight, you need to lose weight. So I started throwing up my food. So literally I started, I, I remember I, I started eating, I was eating regular food and then I was just throwing it up. So anytime I ate more than I thought I should, or anytime I ate something that I didn't feel comfortable with, like chocolate or like a sweet, I would just throw it up. Now, the interesting thing about my bulimia was that it was psychosomatic. And so for people who don't know, that means I've never stuck my finger down my throat, but I worked myself up into such an anxious state that I was able to throw up without having to do anything physical to get it. But that's still bulimia. Like that was not my, and I convinced myself in my disordered state that that was my body rejecting the food and that I was doing the right thing because I hadn't had to make myself throw up. So I couldn't be bulimic. You are. So I lived that way for about two years and I got to the thinnest that I've ever been and I felt great about myself. And I think really, I don't remember a point where I looked at myself and said, I'm, I need to stop this. I, I only remember gradually going, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be throwing up food. 
I shouldn't be throwing up food. I need to stop doing that. But I don't remember thinking I've, I was too thin or like looking at my body in any other way, but I should be maintaining this figure. And I think it had a lot to do with me starting to go back to church. I was looking at myself differently and I was dealing in therapy with a lot of the wounds from my childhood. I was going through therapy for a bunch of different traumas between my childhood and the sexual assault I went through. So there was a lot of unpacking. And I think that was really the point where I I stopped the disordered behavior and I think I've had a few relapses, but not many. And past that, I've, I mean, eating disorder recovery, which we'll talk about later is so day to day. There are still days where I get tempted to not eat or to throw up the food that I have eaten. But I think the biggest takeaway for me from my eating disorder journey has been learning to appreciate that my body was designed to look this way. I'm not wrong for not having a different body type and that my body type is beautiful just the way it is. And I'm still on a journey with it. Like, um, I'll talk about this a little bit more later, but I, in my wedding photos, all I see are the size of my arms and it's ridiculous because you're looking at wedding photos. You're looking at, at one of the happiest days of your life. You're in a beautiful dress. And if you have body dysmorphia, you focus on things that don't make sense to anybody that nobody else is looking at but that's, that's where your eyes drawn. And that's why it's kind of a lifetime issue because you never really completely recover from it. Emma, is this a good jumping off point for you? Sure. I mean, dive in. I mean, I got teased in school a little bit, but I don't think I was ever really like, I'm fat, you know? And I wasn't until I was in bodybuilding when I was in my early twenties that it really like I became aware, like I was like, I was aware of my body in a sense at that point, but I had never been tempted to do anything like bulimia was not even a thought in my mind, but during this bodybuilding competition, um, I'm losing, I lost God, probably at least 50 pounds for that competition. And I was like, at that point I was 35 ish pounds down and it was about halfway through. And my coaches were like, you're not losing weight fast enough. And so I already had OCD. And so my bulimia is a manifestation of that. And I was like, okay, I guess like I had six almonds. Apparently that's too many almonds. So I better puke them up. And I did. And that that started very slowly and it continued on for, I mean, till now I still have, I I relapse all the time. And I would say it was exacerbated quite a bit by people who would compliment how much weight I had lost. I looked sickly thin. If you go back far enough on my Instagram to where my bodybuilding days were like, I have not meant to sit at 135 pounds. Like I don't look right at 135 pounds. I look tiny. Like it's like my head is too big for my body at 135 pounds. Like I don't know what I weigh now. I don't want a scale. I'm never going to own a scale again because that is just a trigger for me. I was weighing myself. Nice. I was weighing myself seven times a day when I was in that competition. And Josie ended up just hiding my skill for me because she knew how often I was stepping on it. But um and then I was in relationships where I was dating a guy during a second bodybuilding prep. And he would say things like, you don't need that. When I would eat, like I would buy like cinnamon almonds or something like that to like satisfy the sweet tooth while also staying relatively healthy. And he'd be like, you don't need that. You don't need that. You don't need that. And so then it just perpetuated that issue because like, and like he was pretty thin. So obviously these guys are projecting something onto me, you know, but at the time it wasn't a thought. It was just, 
this, my boyfriend, this person who says they love me says that I don't need this, which means that they're not attracted to me, which means that I need to keep going. And so at that point, in addition to being in a competition, it was about maintaining a thinness that I thought they wanted. And then followed that. I was in a relationship where they would talk about like, Oh my God, you look so good. You look so great. And he caught me. The only reason I ever stopped and I probably would have been just as avid now as I was then, if he hadn't, he had caught me being in a purge and he was freaked out. <laughs> and, you know, naturally, you know, I, I mean, like you never meet someone who's had an eating disorder and you find them in the midst of purging. Like, of course, that probably is going to like surprise you at the very least. So um, we talked about it and I'm going to therapy for it and I'm still in therapy for it, but we were in the midst of that. And slowly my weight would go up because I wasn't purging all my food anymore. So I think I got to like, I think I was around like 170 or something and I'm five foot four. I have a lot of muscle mass. So for me, it wasn't, I was still in like size eight to 10, like, which doesn't mean anything. I'm not trying to say like correlation, causation, et cetera, but you know, I'm just trying to exemplify. I was not a large individual. Like I'm a curvy woman, but by no means would anyone look at me and be like, you're in danger of morbid obesity, but my ex-boyfriend certainly acted like it. And he would be like, I would eat a Reese's or something. And then he'd be like, oh, well you say you want to lose weight, but here you are like eating chocolate and this, this and that. And he would frame it to like, we both need to lose weight, you know? And I'm just like, you know, the damage that it has done to me. Like you saw it firsthand. So I'm not sure where in your brain it's acceptable to perpetuate it for yourself. Like I asked him point blank. I said, you can be honest. Are you not attracted to me anymore? And he was like, well, no, I'm still attracted to you. Then I'm like, then, then what's the conversation? You know, like I'm not in danger of being unhealthy. So that relationship ended um, and I was okay for a while. And then entering the dating world really brings that brings it back for me because now I associate men liking me with men liking me thin. And that's just, I'm at a point now where I'm like, you either like what's going on or you can leave because this isn't like my, I'll never have a thigh gap. I'm not a skinny spinner. Like that's just the way it is. Could I be thinner? Probably. Am I healthy? Absolutely. So, but that doesn't mean that bulimia goes away, you know? So, yeah. Um, I think just like not, not even that long ago, I had a relapse and I tried to be very candid about that because like, we'll talk about, this is something that you have to deal with day in and day out for the rest of your life. So, yeah. And I would say it's, it'll be an interesting point to bring you into Tammy because at least in American culture, and then I've talked about it before, I have no idea except for inferring from magazine covers where we got the idea that men were only attracted to thin women, except for that our thin high school peers were dating. You know what I mean? Like no one ever overtly said to me to date someone, you must be thin. But somehow we had this idea completely sewn into us to the point that we didn't need to compare notes and we thought the same thing. And actually one of the interesting things about our friendship is that we were both, ha we had eating disorders at the same time and we didn't talk about it. And if anything, we kind of compared like stay skinny tips, you know, like, oh, uh, you can do this instead of eating this. Oh, you can run here instead of doing that. And so we kind of, without realizing it, perpetuated each other's eating disorders before we ever talked about it. So bringing Tammy into the chat because she is a licensed therapist and actually does this for a living. What are your thoughts so far? Where would you like to take the conversation? Yeah, so I mean, just really thank you both for being so 
honest and open like it is a difficult thing to talk about I know um kind of people feel differently about speaking about it but a lot of people still feel quite shocked about it and hearing stories um a lot of people find difficult so actually you guys adding to the narrative I think it's brilliant um I think also really like that both of you have different stories I think it's there's the kind of middle-class white girl anorexia that is the face of eating disorders and it is not like that at all and everyone's experience is going to be completely different um so I think the more stories we have kind of the more space we can hold yeah I'll give you a very quick brief overview of me and then I'll talk a little bit about what I do um so kind of similar journey to both of you but I was very conscious of my body from a super young age I remember having kind of concerns about my weight at like five years old like very clear images at preschool about that and then I remember that kind of continuing on in year four we had a terrible teacher who was trying to teach us about um kind of like lowest to highest and she measured all of our height and then she measured all of our weights and then popped it on a chart right by the door of who's tallest and shortest and who's the the lightest and the heaviest and then she would update it each week and every day we would all go look and say oh you're there and I was at the top of both those charts and all the boys would be like oh what's that and all the girls would be like well you're that and it was just this like crisis of everyone confirming my concerns um so that I mean that's a terrible thing don't do that to people um but yeah then getting to high school I went to um an all-girls school it was basically like training camp for eating disorders that's all we spoke about that's all we did that's how we bonded um I had two friends who were really um like very medically severe in their um their eating disorders um kind of extremely low body weight very much cusp of medical emergency um so that was like my teenage years of just this constant barrage from school but then also having that in my life um and that really kind of my experience with it but then also friends experience with it got me into the field um and you'll find that a lot with mental health professionals not everyone gets into the field and gets into a field that they sort of connect to so it's not necessarily their own experience but oftentimes it's a loved one or they've been directly affected by it and you're wanting to do something about it so that's how I got into eating disorders um yeah I also moved to the UK because I knew where this was where the most work was being done research-wise besides American love you both but I just don't fit into American culture me neither girl so I was like America or the state or the UK and I was like there we go um (laughs) yeah so the UK and the US tend to be kind of at the head of making changes making new therapies so came over here um worked with adults for a while also working on a program to get to intervene earlier because just from a service provider thing like treating people who are very very unwell who've been unwell for years and years and years is not effective it's not supportive for people it's not the kind or the right thing to do and it just means that very few people get access to support but if we intervened within like the first two years that means a lot more people get support so I was doing that for a while and now I work with young people in like a day care program so it's the space between outpatients and inpatient 
and yeah, all day, every day, we kind of just work on this stuff and it sucks and it's toxic and it's, you know, it's a hard space to be, be in every day, but it also is really, really wonderful. You see kids and their parents turn things around and it's really encouraging. So yeah. So good. Yeah. So I think one of the things that I want to talk about just briefly is, and I think we can all kind of respond to this and hopefully maybe Tammy, you tie up the loose ends and correct anything that we do wrong, but (laughs) Emma, and then you can ask me what were the top three things while you were in the middle of an eating disorder, you remember looking back now with hindsight, what were the top three things that you wish you knew? Um, like while you were in it and, and for, for you right now, when you're in a relapse or what, what are the things that you wish that you knew? I think the number one is that bulimia is just actually not really that effective when it comes to losing weight. And I, it sounds awful. Like I'm not trying to say like pursue different <laughs> eating disorder paths, but it makes look elsewhere. <laughs> it makes little to no difference. Like the calorically speaking, like you're getting rid of some food that you've eaten. Like this, like, I guess the way my therapist and I would talk about it, like the way you retain calories after ingesting a meal initially versus later on, like you're not really doing much beyond damaging your esophagus and your teeth and you know, all the other multiple damaging things that bulimia can do to you, which would lead into my second one and that it will mess with your teeth. Like I still have all my teeth. I have good teeth, but like, that's why I, one of the biggest reasons why I stopped was to protect my dental health because I didn't want to rot my teeth with acid. Like that was, you know, and it's not something that you think about when you're in it, you know, because to you, like you, you get so one track mind, like must purge the food and nothing else matters. Like my stomach lining doesn't matter. My throat doesn't matter. My teeth don't matter. And it does in the long run matter. Like if I ever relapse now, because I'm so few and far between those, my throat will hurt for days after not only from the effort. Cause I have actual true bulimia. I will stick my finger down my throat. Not in the sense that I don't ever binge and then purge. I restrict and purge, um, which is, it was complicated because I didn't have any doctors on the military base. I was at who would see me because it's a very niche form of bulimia. It's not true bulimia according to them. So, and I would also just stop you right there and say all bulimia is true bulimia as long as it fits a diagnosable criteria. So I don't currently work in the field, but I do have the same training up to this point, hopefully less soon because she's a smarty and she's going to get a PhD, but Tammy and I have similar training in the, in psychology and, it's disordered to affect your life. It's not Mm -hmm. to hit a certain criteria. Like it doesn't say in the diagnostic, like you have to hit below 120 pounds before you are a true bulimic. Like as soon as it affects your life, you're a true bulimic to the degree that it interrupts your day to day, which Mm -hmm. obviously for both of us, this did. Mm-hmm. Um, but in any such case, I was in, I was referred elsewhere, which was fine. The doctor that I got to see was like way better than anything they could have provided me at the military hospital. So like, I was not upset about it at all, you know? And I think the third thing is just that I can't change my body type. I could, I mean, to do, to look that way, the amount of effort and work it takes is not sustainable. I can't, I physically cannot do an hour of cardio every day and only eat 900 calories a day for the rest of my life. I can't do it. I will beyond just seriously damaging my mental health, like physically I will deteriorate if I do that. So I think just having more cognizance of like, this is your skeleton. It's not anything that you can change. 
and like, that's okay. I think that would have, you know, it, it's not that I didn't know that, but I don't think that I recognized it at the same time. Yeah. For me, the top three things I wish I'd known when I was in the midst of it are that you're not the only one who's going through this. I thought that I was having to do this because I was wrong. I was not right. I wasn't in the right shape. I wasn't in the right space. I, I wasn't measuring up. And so, you know, you're not alone. There are so many people who suffer, especially with eating disorders and silence about their body image, about how they perceive others perceiving them. So yeah, you're not alone. I wish I had also known that the more you fight against your body, the more you're damaging your heart and your body. So like these wounds don't heal quickly, which is why we talk about eating disorder being like a lifetime thing. But to this day, and I know Emma would say the same, and I'm sure Tammy would say the same, there are micro triggers and macro triggers that set me off that open a staple wound in my heart that I've healed close with therapy that I close with love for myself that I close with love from other people from my friends but those wounds are still there so it doesn't just hurt your physical body it hurts your heart and and those things don't just go away once you realize that it's not a viable life option once you realize that it's not sustainable I will and- note that like recently I had that just because of the Instagram thing that I had I sent you like yeah. screenshots I think Hannah like where yeah. people will say anything and everything on social media and so you have to be either have to have very thick skin have to have very thick skin or be very very careful about how you engage because that I was not necessarily offended but it did bring back like the idea of like well maybe I just should just do more cardio but I'm like then you have to sit down and think like am I going to let a stranger on the internet define my health you know so let me just give the context of that because I think it's actually a really important conversation to bring into the to bring into the chat but I don't remember how he came up but basically it was a comment thread of hitting Emma's post with something to the effect of I want my woman to be under 130 pounds I just believe that women should be feminine and Emma shot back very rightly with body size has nothing to do with femininity you know that has that has no bearing on it whatsoever and he's like well you're entitled to your opinion but my woman will be thin because that's what feminine women are and, and he was also very small as a man, like he's a very small guy, like he's short and skinny. So I can understand you, you're like, maybe it in, like emasculate, but so it makes you feel, is masculine the right word? It makes you feel less of a man basically yes, to date women right who are quote unquote bigger than you, you know, like, so maybe that's where he's coming from, but that doesn't make it right, obviously. And then of course he has the misogynist come forward when one person does it, the others will, will will come if you call him they will come if you build the misogynistic misogynistic castle they will come but um yeah. he it was a lot of like oh your thighs are so nasty like you're a hippo this this and that and i'm like okay you know but like emma of a year ago that would have been a very different story well that's honestly like real talk that's a lot of why i have a private instagram page because i do not need people in my space who are not approved by me, who are not positive, who cannot be trusted with images, because you will get anybody and everybody who are keyboard warriors, especially on Emma's page, because it's public. And she promotes, like, she does quite well. She has quite a few followers. Like, there are images out there of her that will circulate beyond just people she knows. And there are so many people 
who say something so hurtful that like for me and my recovery, I can't let that in my space. I I'm not open to having a public profile because I never want someone who I will never meet to influence my life. And that will be 100% negative toxic energy if I let that into my space. And I think I was at two. So three for me is I would say, remember that the choices that you're making now are not just going to affect you. So the choices that I made then affected my friends. They affected my parents. They affected my husband that I didn't even know then because he has to deal with this trauma because it, it affects me. And whether you're in a serious long-term relationship or whether you're just dating someone or whether you're single, at some point you might have a partner that they will have to take on this trauma. And it's not, oh, like you, you're bad for having this trauma. Everybody has stuff, but they will have to deal with it because you're going to have bad days. Everybody does. And whatever they bring into the relationship, they're going to have bad days too. But yours will have micro triggers. Yours will mean that if they say something, even to the effect of, oh, are you going to wear that dress? you immediately go into a tailspin of body image that was not their intent, that was not their fault, but it takes you a lot more to be even and to have a clear mind than it does for other people. And it will also affect your kids. Like some of the choices that people make for eating disorders, especially for longer term eating disorders, affect your ability to have children. And you might not be thinking that when you're talking about trying to get into a size two or a size six here, you know, whatever size you're trying to get into, great. Do you want to have kids? Because guarantee you, this problem will not just stop with you. And even if you're able and fertile enough to have children, are you going to pass these micro triggers down to them? Are you going to be asking them, like my stepmom asked me about their weight? Are you going to be asking them, should they be eating that? Are you going to be restricting them from food? Are you going to be teaching them those habits because kids watch you? Are you going to do that for auntie and uncle you know, if you are not going to have kids yourself, but you're going to be in kids' lives. So it doesn't just affect you. It doesn't just impact you. So Tammy, I would love to bring you into the chat again. And what do you think about all that? And then what are your top three? Um, yeah, I think that's, especially that last point I found really powerful, like thinking kind of beyond ourselves. And I think especially as, you know, we were all speaking about this, especially like teenage, young 20s, like the way our brains are at that age, we're not fully formed. So it's really difficult to even have those kind of long-term thoughts, but especially kind of as we move into kind of late twenties, adulthood, that sort of thing, like really trying to take that space to be like, well, what is happening goes beyond me. And I think that can be a sobering thought, but I think it can also be a really good encouraging thought of, hey, I'm doing this for me, but I'm also doing this for whoever comes after me and whoever I'm impacting. Um, and that can be, yeah, that can be a motivator. So if that is something that's motivating for you, definitely keep that and keep that in mind. Um, my three things, what are those, just to clarify, are those for recovery? Are those for when you are struggling? When you're in the midst of yeah. the eating disorder, we'll tackle recovery in a minute. Yeah. So when you're in the midst of it, get as far away as possible from scales. You don't need them they are not Amen. helpful yeah we use them in treatment for a myriad of reasons but we kick them out of every single patient's home yeah. we 
it's just, it's not helpful. You're a medical professional needs them for certain reasons. It's useful for tracking certain things, um, but it's also not necessarily something we even speak to um, people in our care about. Now, I would also say, yeah. and I know this is true for Emma, she just said re like a little bit earlier, I have not weighed myself in years and I've never had a better outlook on my body. And it's still a journey, but like, stop weighing yourself. There is no medical need for you to know how much you weigh. You can guess and estimate and go by clothing sizes if you trust it, depending on which brand, they obviously cut them very differently, but you do not need to know how much you weigh. Absolutely. And they they did a survey in the UK and I was very surprised by this because this did not represent my demographic. Um, but they found that in adults, people averagely get weighed once a year and that's when they go for their medical. And I was like, they don't do it twice a day. <laughs> like <What? laughs> that was, it was it was mind blowing for me, but that is actually medically also all you need. Your doctor can check how you're doing, how's that going? Otherwise you do not need it. So get as far away from those as possible and pick up boundaries quickly and keep those boundaries. And you might need support building those boundaries. You can get advice from professionals, friends, family, people who are really on your team, but kind of where do you need to put in stops of, okay, this is how, this is how I can act within my boundaries. And also this is how I'm allowing people to affect me. So I'm very similar as Hannah kind of with comments. I'm like, I don't want to allow for anyone else to get in this. And sometimes that's because I'm feeling sensitive, but also that's, I'm like, that's going to derail me and that's not helpful. So I'm going to put a strict boundary in there. It might also be like, you know what? These sort of conversations when speaking about X, I have to leave the room. I can't do it. I'm not going to be there. Um, and yes, you lose out on some things, but actually that keeps you well. Um, so it's around friends, how you act. Hey, I'm, watching certain things on Netflix and I know this is actually uncomfortable or unhelpful get the hell away from it so yeah jump the scales really get your boundaries in place and I think for me looking back what I wish I knew was hey the longer you play this game the longer it's going to take to get out and that works in terms of kind of our brain chemistry, which is why we really focus on intervening early because after a certain time, your brain structure actually changes and it makes it harder to recover. Not that you can't recover, you can always recover. Um, but also because you set, you set your life up in a way that you're now gonna have to dismantle. So I always played the game of, okay, I know this isn't great, but give me six months more, give me six months more. Maybe when that happens, then I'll choose recovery. Yeah. And you're making it harder for yourself. So if you have the opportunity to choose recovery today, do it. And it is a daily choice. You know, it is something you kind of have to wake up and be like, okay, we're continuing on. And if you slipped up, it's okay. Let's keep going. But it is one of those things of don't keep playing that game. Don't listen to the lie that eating disorder tells you about, oh, it's fine. I can help. Just dump it. Yeah. Yeah. And I would also say like, get professional intervention. Don't think that you can solve it by yourself, even once you're in recovery, because as all of us can say, it is not something that you can fix or change by yourself in a vacuum. 
you have to talk about it. You have to say something, you have to get outside perspective because your brain is not thinking correctly about this, which is why we are in this space. So it would be ridiculous for you to say in my completely irrelevant, like non-functioning headspace, I can fix this or I can solve this problem. And you deserve that support at any stage. And I know there are going to be financial and healthcare barriers that go along with this, but you are never not ill enough. You are never not skinny enough. You are never not in need. If you are struggling, you deserve help. Yeah. Don't let that kind of lie of uh, someone deserves it more than me. No, no, you're struggling. You need help. We talked about feeling like you're the only one going through it. It's so helpful when you replace your feed on social media. Yes. Yes. Who are admittedly about it, have gone through it, or Mm -hmm. just have a body type like yours. Like I purged my feed of anyone who was like, who didn't look like me because that's not to disparage them or to say they're not working hard in their own way, but I can't relate to you. And I'm going to be comparing myself to you because that's just the nature of social media. So to follow women who are embracing what they look like unapologetically you know it it brings an attitude of like well if they can do it surely I can do it too and it takes it takes work to get to that point I'm not comfortable necessarily on social media being quite that transparent in that way but I also have moved past excessive filtering or I don't edit my photos you know so like it's a full process but it's an important narrative to bring to the forefront so absolutely and I think like Hannah you were saying earlier about you know magazine covers for so long the information we were getting was given to us and we didn't actually really have too much choice in that because yeah there were only so many magazines and magazines were just something you entertained yourself with Mm -hmm. now we have social media and one side of it is your life becomes an echo chamber and you don't get into, you don't get views beyond your own and stuff, but sometimes, yeah. like you're saying, Emma, you can use that algorithm and harness it for your good. Because I mean, I look at mine and it is, it's people who look like me and dogs. And I'm yeah. very happy every day I go onto Instagram. But if you are a lot, you know, you have this opportunity to create something tailored for you, for your own well-being and your own use. And once we actually start harnessing that and saying, hey, I'm not going to let Instagram deliver all this triggering stuff to me. Yeah. Let me change it up. And then actually it becomes a really empowering and, and useful place. So I think that's a really good point to bring up. Yeah. And I think also looking at, um, I think Tammy, you were saying earlier, your Netflix, looking mm-hmm. at the TV programs that you allow to influence you. Like I watched half of an episode of Emily in Paris and I decided that that was not a good show for me to watch because it's an aggressively skinny person who very fair enough, you're in ED recovery. That is, that is a safe space. It is not me judging you for your body, but I will look at that and think immediately, you know what? I should look like that. I should put myself in that space, which is exactly why I did the exact same thing that Emma did and the same thing that you did, Tammy, which is I purged my social media feed of anyone who did not make me feel positive and uplifted. And I, it's a Mick Zazen. She's an amazing account to follow, but her tagline is normalizing normal bodies. And that's exactly what I did with my Instagram feed. I removed the thin stereotype of this is what fashion looks like. This is what success looks like. And I replaced it with these are people who look like me or who are bigger than me or who are slightly smaller than me, but not aggressively thin, who are 
influencing me in a positive way because you're being influenced by the influencers you follow, whether you buy anything from their commission links or not, you're still staring at their pictures most yeah. days. And it's, it's okay if those people that you have to remove are your friends and, you know, can use the term friends loosely because I sometimes kind of think, oh, I can't unfollow this person. We were, you know, 10 years ago, we shared that meal. It was great. <laughs> I met her in that club and she handed me a hair tie. We were friends for life. <laughs> like, but also like your close friends, if their profiles aren't helpful to you, like I've got a friend who is very into fitness, kind of very into kind of that world. And at times the thing she says and what she does isn't helpful for me. Yeah. And that's not that she's doing anything wrong because she's really helpful for a lot of people. But I said to her, hey, listen, I'm unfollowing. And she's a good friend. She's like, good on you. Yeah. Well, and I, I, think if I need something. Yeah. If you are friends with people who are not accepting of that, then they were not going to be a good supportive friend for you point blank because your mental health has to come first especially with what you're feeding yourself like social media i would like to dive now into the top three tips for recovery so i will start this one off because i think emma started the last one off and i will say my top three tips number one look at what you're looking at so what we just talked about Curate your social media to create a safe space for yourself. Curate your house to create a safe space for yourself. Don't, if you need to not have mirrors, except for tiny ones that show you what your face looks like, don't have mirrors. If you need to not have scales, like I don't have a scale. I refuse to own a scale. There is a scale in my in-laws house that I avoid like the plague, because if I'm alone in a room with it for too long, my brain could take over and just be like, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And then years of progress ruined. So I would say, yeah, don't, don't, don't sleep on what is around you. Don't take lightly what you're looking at and also affect the movies that you're watching. If there are a ton of super thin actresses in a movie and you can't handle it, don't watch the movie, girl. Go watch the Wild Kingdom documentary or David Attenborough narrating whales in the ocean like whatever you need to fill your your life with that is maybe, positive maybe avoid everything. maybe avoid whales in that space oh that's not good I, mean, I do love whales that's true whales are good okay so an unpopular opinion whales but orcas are like my favorite whale i'm sorry yeah. i know that they're like vicious but they're so pretty okay mine's the blue whale they're very cute oh i i also like a orca or have that whale they whistle. It's so cute. So yeah, like whatever you need to do with your feed, with your TV shows, with your movies, with your house, anything that is in your eyesight daily, remove that, remove it and have conversations to explain to people if you need to remove them, why you're removing them. If you have a toxic friend who's always checking in on you about what size jeans you're wearing and what your weight is, we need to have a conversation and break up, honey. You are not coming on this journey with me. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to leave you at this train stop. I'll pick you up later if you get back on. Like, can't wait. Uh, the other thing for recovery is to reinforce to yourself, clothes were made to fit you. You were not made to fit into clothing. And clothing is measured differently almost every place you go. Yeah. Do not judge your success or your failure in recovery by your clothing size. Don't do it. It's a huge slippery slope. And I know you're going to be like, wait a minute, I'm not allowed to weigh myself. And now you're telling me I can't judge myself based on the size clothing I wear. No, you can't. Because honestly, it has nothing to do with your self-worth or your value. 
And my third tip for recovery is have an accountability friend, Mm. whether they are in ED recovery or not have at least one person, if not a couple of people that you can speak to anytime you're going through a relapse, anytime you're dealing with negative thought patterns. I very frequently text Emma, I'm having a bad ED week. And then I'll just tell her what's going on. Oh, I can't believe that I wore a tank top out in public the other day. My, my focal point is like my arms, but if, if my arms were magically what I wanted them to look like, it would be something else. There's always another part of your body that you want to fix, which is why plastic surgery is never the answer. Moving onward. Sorry for the mini TED talk. I, I will text Emma, like I'm having a really bad week and we'll talk about it. Or she'll text me. I'm having a really bad week and we'll talk about it. And I will say the more that you talk about it, the easier it gets to talk about the, the first time it might be hard. And the first time it might be really challenging. And then the next couple of times you still feel uncomfortable, like it might be bothering them or like it's, it's not the right time or like, should I be saying this? Find a friend who is, their door is open and, and talk about it. Emma Lou? Um, okay. Uh, I'd say I would just echo like the, the people you surround yourself with just because when I was in the throes of mine, I had people who were very also oriented on their size, yeah. already having very different body types than me. So they didn't really need to be, you know, in my opinion at that time. Yeah. Anyway, you know, like, everyone's got their own insecurities. Like who am I to say that they didn't feel some kind of way about their body. But in my perspective at the time, I was like, you're already thin. So what's like, your problem? Like, well, <laughs> yeah. you've made it. <laughs> Shut up. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> why are you here at the gym with me what no um but also because those kinds of people will very often spin your own issues against you in an effort to feel better about themselves so um you just have to be very careful who is worthwhile especially when you're going through something not just you know eating disorders yeah. but yeah and especially for eating disorders i would also compare the illusion to like a drowning man the drowning man will always try to pull you down with them. So if they're in the midst of their own crisis, they may not be the best person to have as your accountability buddy, because they may drag you down in an attempt to save themselves, which is what Emma's bringing up with. Like there was a friend of ours who would constantly critique Emma for pretty much anything she did, but was super negative about her weight, her weight loss or lack thereof at different points in her journey. So like, don't think that, the person who's tearing you down, it might not even be about you. Like the drowning person will always try to bring you with them and hurting people hurt people. Facts. Facts, no print, as Gen Z would say. Facts. Oh, uh, no cap. Um, I still don't get that, but it's fine. I, still, I use it unironically. But anyways, <laughs> use. use. Uh, I'd say my second tip is just speak up sooner. You know, um, if I had been honest with even the Hannah way sooner than I was, maybe I could have circumvented issues that I had, but I waited and I hit it until I was caught in, in the act. And that's humiliating for like a myriad of reasons, but also because it, it, I felt it highlighted a weakness in me. And I would also encourage others not to look at a disorder as a weakness. It's just something you're going through. So it's not a reflection of you as a person. it's, It's, um, it's, you know, everyone has their thing that they deal with and yours just happens to be an eating disorder, you know? So that doesn't say anything about who you are. It's uh, largely a societal issue, but, and third, I would say get hot. This helped me a lot with OCD and in, in, 
in effect my eating disorder, get a hobby that takes a lot of thought and takes a lot of intention. I started knitting to circumvent OCD tendencies and it helps so much because I don't have time to think about what do I look like right now? What, what am I dealing with right now? Because I'm too busy counting stitches or like screaming because I dropped a stitch 10 stitches ago and I don't know why. <laughs> and it's a whole thing. So, I mean, that hours a day I would spend doing that. And then all of a sudden I'd be like, oh, wow, I didn't have any episodes today. That's so crazy. And slowly but surely over time, you don't need that crutch after a certain amount of time, you know? So yeah. those are mine. And now the actual professional can give us hers. So. <laughs> and now to correct all of that, Tammy. <laughs> she says, actually, all of your ideas are stupid. So. <laughs> I would Thanks. like to echo your echo. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think those really, really are so good. Um, and kind of picking up on things you guys also said about like who you surround yourself with. I think pick your partner really, really consciously. Um, if a long-term partner is what you want, remember that this is a long-term thing in terms of it will, like we said earlier, it will pop up again and again. Yeah. Um, I find that speaking about this early is helpful because if it is something that's a large part of your life or has been a large part of your history and watch their reaction. I mean, no one's going to have a perfect reaction, but just watch how people respond to you and how they respond to you. Because if this is going to be your life partner, they're going to be a... Um, you're going to want them to be a support system. So I think just be careful of that kind of going into, you know, speaking of someone who, my, who I am single, I can still have that choice and be like, hey, well, what do I need to be looking for? I think someone who can support you and your mental health is helpful. And I just want to take a second because Grey's Anatomy taught me everything I know about medicine, number one. And number two, there was an episode where this guy and this girl came in for what was just a sprained ankle, it seemed. And essentially it, the episode develops and this girl has been taking aspirin so that she can spend like an hour a day to an hour and a half a day on the Stairmaster at the gym because the, the boyfriend like won't get serious with her or won't get engaged until she stays below a certain size for a certain time period. There are a lot of relationships where that, like what Emma was talking about, where these negative mindsets are not only perpetuated, but where they actually pressure you to lose weight. And if you're in one of those relationships or you know someone who is, get out, get out. There is no benefit. You will never be good enough. They, they will never satisfy you because you will never satisfy them because they're not happy with themselves. Mm -hmm. So trust me, no matter how thin you get, no matter what you achieve, that is not a good relationship. So I just wanted to take a second to say that because especially in a long-term relationship, if they are at all judgmental about or conditional about your weight that is a negative space get out absolutely and I think um I was trying to remember my second one would be to find a way to kind of manage anxiety outside of the eating disorder so one of the ways to look at um a whole lot of um mental health difficulties is to think of them this isn't everything but um as a way to kind of manage anxiety so it can be things like if you're feeling really anxious it's going into OCD tendencies it's going into eating disorder tendencies it might be um going into sort of hearing things you know it's all these sorts of things it's oftentimes is that we're feeling something that we can't contain and we're trying to process it and it comes out in these dysfunctional ways so you can kind of if you manage 
the eating disorder, that's a really, really good thing. But if you're not kind of managing the anxiety outside of that, you might find yourself slipping into something not helpful. And that can be slipping into, I don't know, self-harm or smoking because you're like, well, this keeps my, you know, my abject low or my hands busy, all those sorts of things. But just kind of finding different ways to manage that. And oftentimes you can find some really, really good ways, but just being mindful of that as well of, yeah this is eating disorder isn't just about your body and your weight there's other stuff going on to make sure you're kind of still doing things to promote your wellness Hmm. and then the last one um which is something we really focus on a lot at the moment in our treatment is values is finding yourself finding who you are outside of the eating disorder who you want to be and then making sure you get yourself into community where that is the focus so if you know if you're in a world where actually weight and looks and stuff really matter that's going to be a difficult place to be in recovery but if you're finding a place say you really value um generosity and charity if you get yourself involved in volunteer work that's probably going to be emphasizing those values over the other ones i found finding a faith space really really helpful because i knew then who i was in my faith and that was a louder thing in my community than how I looked so really trying to find out who you are outside of that and then making sure you find your tribe within that does that make sense it really does yeah and I think Emma you could probably speak to this really directly because you left literally the bodybuilding fitness competition world and you are now in a space of actually I enjoy fitness but I'm not using this to validate myself or to Mm -hmm. criticize other people Mm -hmm. so good Well, when you're in that space, like I said, my disorder kind of was drawn from that, you know, it wasn't an active part of my life until I was competing, which is not to say it wasn't, you know, Mm. stagnant under the surface, but it was, it came forward regardless. In that community, eating disorders are commonplace, you know, people just don't talk about it, but everyone you talk to is probably purging something during their day, even if they don't classify as a bulimic. Or restricting. They're doing, they're damaging. It's a hard sport you know, it's tough. And that's like one of the appeals that it had for me was that I had to work really hard to achieve that. But that also was a double-edged sword because then it made me feel like I had to maintain that. And that's just not possible. So there is also a lot of judgment that comes with that community. And it's an unfortunate side of the fitness world that I wish wasn't so highlighted, especially on socials, because everyone like glorifies that body. And it's just, you have no idea what's going on behind closed doors. People glorified my body and they had no idea I'm purging five times a day, you know? So, um, just, I, I can't compete again because I know that it will happen. I know that. And so now I'm in a place where I work out because it makes me feel good. You know, like I like to move a lot of weight and I feel proud of myself that I can do that, but I'm not in a place now where I go to the gym, even if I don't feel like it, everyone says like, you have to go every day. You have to go every day. No, you don't. If you don't feel like going, don't go. Yeah. And I was actually just saying to Emma earlier that um, might be TMI for our male listeners. Sorry, but I am on my period this week and I have not managed to work out because I've been in pain and that's okay. And the first thing Emma said to me is I never work out when I'm during, when I'm in the midst of those weeks and that's okay. And it just puts you back in the right headspace of like, Hey, you know what? I do cardio dance workouts now because I enjoy them and I will not be pressured into running. I will not be pressured into lifting weights because I no longer enjoy it. So as, and when that changes, I will go back to a different style of exercise, but for now I'm enjoying myself and it's just as valid as 
any other form of exercise. And there's this weird thing, and I think it might be because we were in the military that we have this mindset, but particularly in the US forces, certain forms of exercise are looked down upon as less than. So if you swim, if you, uh, which Michael Phelps, LOL, but if, if you swim, if you like dance, if you go on long walks, if you hike, that is not exercise. The only exercise is running or lifting weights or, you know, really valid scientifically proven exercise. And it's such crap. Like all exercise is good for your body unless it is something that is putting your body under too much stress. It's going to be positive. Even if you're going on like a one mile walk a day, that is still good. Like good for you. Yes. Just great. <laughs> no, no, I mean, like, you know, we, I think that we could talk all day about it. We could also talk in circles mm-hmm. about it. But at the end of the day, it's about recognizing where you're at with it. Yeah. And if it's soon enough for you to get a hold on it and like hit the brakes and get the help you need before it really takes off, that's the best thing you can do. But if you're already in the midst of it, you know, don't feel that you have failed in some way, you know, yeah. like it's, it's an unfortunate part of life that these are struggles that we deal with and we have our faith to fall back on, but not everyone has that, you know, some people have, I can't even think about a good support system or something. You know, everyone has something to fall onto. And the sooner that you're honest with yourself and others about it, the sooner that you can fix it. Yes. Well, Tammy June, any final thoughts before we go into our fancy? Oh, what? We haven't had one in so long. That's what? right. <laughs> no, I think it's it's just, it's been so good to speak about this and, you know, also do it with kind of humor and kindness because it can be such a difficult space to navigate. But yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on and thanks for chatting about it with me because, again, time. like you are saying, I could talk about it all day. <laughs> so... Our fans tea was generously donated by Tammy slash a collective effort that we all came up with because we are fans of each other and therefore it's a fans tea. So how did you, Emma and Hannah, mm-hmm. tell each other about your eating disorder? Emma, take it away. <laughs> I feel like I was just very like, like, I think that I spent, I don't even know when I told you exactly. It had to have been like, how long has it been? Maybe two years now. I can't even yeah. remember. Like, so I think it was because like at that point it was around the time that um, my relationship was downhill and or ending. And it was like yeah. coming, it was coming back to me because of that. And yeah. I think I just said it one day, you know, because I was like, I'm tired of being alone in this. Like, I'm, I mean, I'm just, and it's not that I knew that Hannah had an eating disorder, but I did know that we had both struggled with our weights because we have traditionally more you know, curvaceous body types. So yeah. I was like, I remember there was a time when Hannah was very much so like cardio, 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 rice cake, cardio, 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 cardio. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and so I knew that regardless of if she had any sort or not, she could relate to that. So yeah. I just, I think I just said it one day and I was, and she was like, me too. And I was like, mm, okay. <laughs> yeah. I remember having a conversation that was kind of tangentially related. I think it was about uh, you struggling with your ex. I think it was something to the effect of what's going on with your relationship. Well, we're having all these issues, blah, blah, blah. And I think it was kind of a slow build in that it was like, yeah, I'm having issues because of my weight. And I can't remember which one of us said something first, but one of us just said, I used to make myself throw up. And I, whoever said it first, the other one said, really me too. And then we had this long, long conversation about it. And ever since then, 
pretty much every time Emma or I have a relapse, we contact each other and we talk about it. And, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't make it go away, but it does make it so much smaller and so much easier to conquer. And I think the thing I wish was, I wish instead of swapping stupid workouts, we would have said sooner, I am making myself throw up. <laughs> Help me stop making myself throw up <laughs> because that would have been such a better use of our time and energy than comparing notes on which cardio style would make you the skinniest. Like, ugh. Really, I wish I could go back and like, shut up, stop doing cardio. <laughs> the smacking gift, like back and forth. Um, yeah. I truly do. Uh, and honestly, I didn't even tell my mom until we started this podcast because there was an episode yeah. where we were like, we're going to talk about this. And I was like, my mom doesn't know. I can't let her find out via podcast. Like she I remember be, that. Yeah. Be, like devastated. And she was already pretty hurt that I had told her. I was like, I need you to understand that it wasn't because I didn't trust you, but there's a shame that comes with that. Yeah. And you, and your, your parents are just like the best of you. And so you don't want to like reveal to your parents, like, here's this weakness that, that I've been dealing with in your head. You think it's a weakness. It's not, yeah. we know that like looking back, but when you're in it, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I was susceptible to this thing. And so like, you don't want your parents to know that you like dealt with that, you know? Yeah. And I remember telling my mom, I told her when I was already in recovery and I told her and she was so hurt. Mm -hmm. And I think that if I could say something to anybody who knows someone in an eating disorder, save that for a minute. If you cannot put that immediately on someone, it's like if someone discloses any sort of trauma to you, just listen, just be there. And I know it's so hard because I was hurt when Emma told me because I care about her. So of course I'm, I'm hurting. I'm like, why didn't you tell me sooner? Why couldn't I have helped? But the more you wait and you let them just speak their, their truth and speak what is in front of them and speak what is happening to them. And the more you save your reaction for a later date, I think the easier that conversation will go. But I remember being on the phone with Emma and talking to her about, we're going to do this on the podcast. We're so excited about this new podcast that we want to start. And she goes, I have to tell my mom because my mom doesn't know yet. And I remember afterwards, I think the thing you said was, I'm so glad I told her. Like, I think you guys had like a really good conversation. Mm -hmm. Am I right? Yeah. No, because she, I told her like, I know you already have certain feelings about my involvement in the fitness community. And I, I was afraid that you would associate the two and they are correlated in many ways, but that's not why I was bulimic. You know, it, for me, it's related to other mental health issues and they sort of just, they drive into one lane later down the road, you know, like we're all like chilling, but it's like quick merge. And then here they are OCD bulimia. Hello. And um, so she was like, she's like, you know, I know, like I would have understood that that was what it was. And I was like, yeah, I know that, but you can't logic yourself out of the disorder. Like you can't do it. So while maybe like logically I could have said to myself, like, she'll understand why I do this thing. It, I knew that it would hurt you. So I didn't want to tell you. Yeah. So, but we're good now. And she listened to it. She's aware. And now I'm very honest with her when I feel that I'm having a relapse because she knows now. So it's, it's different. I don't know if anyone else, I don't know if my sister knows, maybe she told her, I have no idea if my sister listens and she's heard. So. Yeah. I will say I've never had a conversation with anyone in my family about it because it just hasn't come up about anything like it. But I, I wish that 
I had like a lead in to say, ask me about this. You know, those stickers yeah. that they used to give you. Like, ask me about my disorder. Instead of my ask me about my traumas. And I'm like, I'll tell you. <laughs> like, uh, uh, but I wish, I wish there was uh, an easier way to lead into it. And I guess that's maybe a good thought to leave on is, you know what, if you're, if you're itching and you're urging yourself, like have a conversation with someone, have a conversation, just pull the trigger and have it. This is us telling you and daring you. Go you can do it with us. If you don't want to tell people you're yeah. thirsty, DM us. We'll listen. Damn and we're not going to judge us. you. Like we know. And we're not, obviously we're not going to share it. We'll never call you out by name or even talk about it if you're not comfortable with that. Like we're not, we don't get it. It's, this is not an MSB's moment where like you're subject to ridicule because you sent me a dick pic. Like it's not the same. No, it's this is like, you, if you aren't comfortable sharing your trauma, what you're dealing with to people that are close to you, send it to us. Yeah. And that's one thing that we really want this podcast to be for everyone is a safe haven. We want this to be a safe community, a safe space of people who can relate and talk about things. And just like this, who can lean on us. Um, we lean on each other. So you're welcome to be the actual third friend at our table and keep leaning kid. So I think that's all we have. Thank you so much, Tamala, for coming on the pod, for sharing your wisdom talking in your cute accent everybody loved it truly <laughs> yes we are very grateful for professional opinions because hannah and i just consider ourselves professionals in most things so we just were like mm, this is the law we are qualified everything <laughs> every podcast and i learn a lot so you know we're all professionals in our spaces early <laughs> we're all just thriving you know yeah. <laughs> all right well i am hannah i am emma Oh, that's the tea.